Live from D1 Abilene, it's Docs and Jocks, brought to you by Buffalo Wild Wings. Here's your host, Dr. Dan. Hey, welcome to Docs and Jocks, your sports medicine radio show. My name is Dr. Dan, coming to you inside Docs and Jocks radio studio. Great to have you with us today. We're just catching our show for the very first time. We're a sports entertainment show, but we do it from a sports medicine niche. And what I mean by that is I am a long-term 20-year sports medicine doctor, and what I do here on the show is do what I kind of do during my day job, which is talk about injuries, whether shoulders, hips, knees, backs, and uh, we try and make that understandable for uh, you know, maybe you have an injury to your favorite uh, player and your favorite team is missing that guy and how long you think he might be out and how long those t- injuries take to come back and what are those injuries and why did it happen. And uh, you can uh, you can find out about that uh, here on Docs and Jocks, your sports medicine radio show. And you can always find out about our show by going to docsandjocks.com, D-O-X-N-J-O-X.com, or you can go to our iTunes app and uh, listen to our show there, our podcast, uh, Docs and Jocks, D-O-X-N-J-O-X. I am joined each week by my co-host, Ferris Potter. Ferris is the voice of Grand Canyon University, longtime sports broadcaster. Ferris, great to have you on the show today. Got some great guests lined up. Yeah, ready for the new year, man. Let's get rolling. Let's do it. Man, our guests this week are awesome. We have on, uh, we're going to have on Mac Mueller. He's a standout baseball player for Rice University, standout uh, pitcher for Wiley High School, uh, where they won the 4A state championship uh, last year. And Mac is going to be on talking about his experience with Rice University going down to Cuba, where they were really involved in uh, witnessing uh, history, Ferris. Uh, Cu- uh, you know, Cuban's leader, Fidel Castro, uh, passed away while they were there. So we're talking to Mac Mueller about playing a little baseball and witnessing history at the same time. And then later on the show, we're going to have on Patrick Creighton. And for those of you who are uh, Dallas Cowboy fans, he, is, he will obviously ring a bell to you. Patrick was one of the best wide receivers in the NFL for about five years with the Dallas Cowboys, played alongside guys like uh, Terrell Owens, uh, Terry Glenn, some of the great wide receivers the Dallas Cowboys have had. We'll talk about his time in the NFL with the Dallas Cowboys and San Diego Chargers and how he came from Alba, Oklahoma, Northwest Oklahoma State, all the way to play with the Dallas Cowboys. Then later on in the show, we're going to have on some other guests. We're going to have on Chris Burke, who played for the uh, Diamondbacks, Arizona Diamondbacks, and San Diego Padres as an infielder. We're talking about his career in the Major League Baseball and what it took to get there. Also, as well, we're going to be playing uh, a couple of interviews with Charles Haley and Dallas Cowboy uh, Doug Free. So you won't want to miss all that and more coming up on Docs and Jocks, your sports medicine radio show. Remember, you can contact us by going to Docs and Jocks at gmail.com, D-O-X-N-J-O-X.com, and there you can send us uh, your, uh, I'm sorry, docsandjocks at gmail.com, and you can send us your questions. If you have a question about an injury you might have had, we'll answer that on air here. Our favorite part of our show is uh, talking to our listeners, and whether that's through social media, email, or however you want to uh, be part of our show, we'd love to have you do that here on our Sports Medicine Radio Show, Docs and Jocks. We'll be right that back with your sports show, uh, sports and medicine show, Docs and Jocks, after this short commercial break. You're listening to Guy Talk, live from the Sport Clips Haircuts locker room. Caller, you're on the air. My girlfriend beat me playing one-on-one. Ooh, sounds like you need to hit up a Sport Clips for an awesome haircut experience and some quality man time. I don't know. My girlfriend always takes me to her salon. Nonsense. Be your own man and get a great haircut in a guy-friendly place from stylists who know what guys need. You may be right. Sure I'm right. Now grab your Y chromosome, get down to Sport Clips, and ask for the MVP. Sport Clips. It's good to be a guy. No one burns calories like Firehouse Subs. Introducing our hearty and flavorful under 500 calorie menu. Steaming hot sriracha beef, hook and ladder light, turkey cranberry, and more. Six new subs, four new salads, overflowing with flavor under 500 calories. And starting at only $5.49. Under 500 calories never tasted so hearty and flavorful. Firehouse Subs. One bite, one taste, you're hooked. 
Welcome back to Docs and Jocks, your sports medicine radio show. My name is Dr. Dan, coming to you from inside Docs and Jocks radio studio. Great to have you with us today. Just want to find out more about our show, or maybe you missed a previous episode, you can go to iTunes and listen to our podcast there, Docs and Jocks, D-O-X-N-J-O-X, or you find out more about our show by going to docsandjocks.com, D-O-X-N-J-O-X.com. Joined each week by my co-host, Ferris Potter, and I thought we'd jump into, uh, Ferris, some of the uh, sports medicine news uh, stories in the news right now. A couple of them uh, involve guys retiring because of injuries, and they've had a long NFL career, and they're just uh, calling it quits. Uh, it always happens this time of the year as teams don't make the playoffs. Um, the guys start uh, you know, sending in their retirement letters. A.J. Hawk, the linebacker for the Green Bay Packers, the all-time leading tackler for the Green Bay Packers, which I found that hard to believe. You know, they've had such great, uh, long-storied linebackers there. Uh, gosh, who are some of the guys they've had? Ray Nitsky, and I mean, they, the list is too huge to go through as far as some of the great defensive players they've had there. But A.J. Hawk, 11-year NFL veteran, uh, announces that he's retiring. Uh, he tried to make a comeback uh, with the uh, with the Browns for a while and then with the Atlanta Falcons. Wasn't able to do it, just uh, felt like his uh, time was done, and he sent his uh, – letter of uh, of his retirement into uh, Roger Goodell. But, yeah, he was a star player for Ohio State, had a great career with the Packers. If you had to look back at A.J. Hawk's career, do you think that's a uh, NFL Hall of Fame career, Ferris, at this point in time? You know, I'm not as good with the NFL Hall of Fame and, and what it takes to get there. My first thought is no, um, just because I I always tend to be um, a gut reaction. Yeah. If, if, if your initial gut reaction is, eh, then I just say no. So – but, you know, I, I don't know. What do you think? I mean, he was he was very good for a long time. But, you know, with them, it was always, oh, that offense, that offense, that offense is why they won those games and those Super Bowls and things. So yeah. that's why I would, I would probably say no. You know, I think uh, probably after reading about him uh, just because of his retirement, reading his stats, I think probably so. I mean, it'd be, it'd be the equivalent of uh, like um, – Darren Woodson for the Dallas Cowboys. Darren Woodson's the all-time leading tackler for the Dallas Cowboys. He was yeah. the defensive, one of the best defensive players on the teams that the Dallas Cowboys were winning Super Bowls with. And so, you know, obviously the Cowboys would be the same situation. They had Aikman, you know, Emmitt and Urban doing their thing on the offensive side. You always hear about them, the triplets. But you can't have a great offense and win Super Bowls by yourself. You have to have a great defense. And a guy like Woodson just got in the Hall of Fame, and I consider A.J. Hawk that type of a player, you know, a linebacker who is the best tackler for, you know, the leading tackler for the Green Bay Packers. And so, you know, I think he is probably going to get in just on the merit of best defensive player or one of the best defensive players on the teams that will go on and win Super Bowls, won a Super Bowl with Aaron Rodgers. Also, you remember, he was a Lombardi winner as well in the uh, in, in uh, college with Ohio State as well. So, you know, he had a great college career. Obviously, that doesn't doesn't play into whether or not you get yeah. to be in the NFL Hall of Fame, but a great football player for a long, long time, 11 years in the NFL. It just seems to me, I guess, as we get older, Ferris, time goes by faster. Does it seem like A.J. Hawk is still like a young player in your mind coming into the NFL? Yeah, because he's still a lot, lot younger than you or I. Exactly. So like he, should, yeah. he should be playing. Here, here's, the, here, you know, here's the alarming thing to me why I would probably still say not a Hall of Famer. I mean, he should definitely be in the Packers' ring of honor, you know, or whatever they do. But he only made one Pro Bowl. Wow. You know, I mean, I mean, if that's true, and that, that's just what I, I, I saw, you know, looking it up, uh, how, do, how do you get in the Hall of Fame if out of 9, 10, 11 years you were only the best just, linebacker, one of the best linebackers in the league one time? Yeah, you know? wow, that is that is astonishing. Yeah, that is true. Yeah, I don't know. He's one of those guys who will be on the bubble. There's a lot of guys on the bubble in the uh, Baseball Hall of Fame right now, and we can talk about that later. Guys like Fred McGriff, you know, who were f- great players for a short period of time, but they had a yeah. long, uh, you know, long career, but and their stats ended up being pretty good because of a long career. But were they the best player 
at their position when they played. And I think Fred McGriff would kind of fall in that same category. So, yeah, good point. Right. Was A.J. Hawk the best position at his player or best player at his position, given he only won, went to one Pro Bowl? And then another player that just retired, and uh, Steve Smith goes out with a little bit of a splash. Uh, Steve Smith, he goes by Steve Smith Sr. Uh, there is a junior now. <laughs> He's, he sent a letter to uh, I love that. It says, uh, Dear Commissioner Goodell, this is to notify you that today I, Stephen Smith Sr., will no longer be antagonizing defensive backs. I'm retiring from the National Football League. I think there's a little second message in there, Ferris. Did you kind of feel that? <laughs> Did you feel a little bit of sarcasm in there after getting fined so yeah, many times? You know, for... I, I like Steve Smith a I lot. Do too, yeah. I like the way he played. He's a little guy, you know, for by, by standards of the NFL. He, he played like a big guy. And, uh, you know, he was a motor mouth. He, he talked a, a lot, but um, – I don't know. The way he did the talking, I kind of enjoyed it. So I'm going to miss yeah. that guy. I thought he was a really good player. I miss, I'm going to miss him. Now, here's a guy that wants another question for you. Is he a Hall of Fame type player? Gut feeling. Give me your gut feeling before we kind of give you the stats. My gut feelings, no, but I know he's got a ton of catches. So Yes, he, he does. Be- Man, he's the all-time leading uh, Carolina Panthers uh, leader for touchdowns, receptions, receiving yards, basically anything offensively. Uh, categorized for the Carolina Panthers, Steve Smith has that record. Yeah, it's amazing uh, what he did. You know, I forgot. Do you remember what college he played for? I, I did not know this. I didn't see how you just test your NFL uh, college. <laughs> well, I looked it up, so I. Oh, I you did. I did not remember he played there, but did he play for Urban Meyer? Was he there when Urban Meyer was there? No, he was at Utah. Yeah, but I mean Urban Meyer. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, he did. I forgot he, that. You're right. He, I don't know what he year may have. They, yeah, if, I don't, if they were there or not at the same time, but it makes sense if he was. Yeah, he's. Uh, I got the privilege of uh, working out with him for just a short while. He was in uh, Charlotte, uh, North Carolina, and he was working out at a uh, facility there when I when I went. I just happened to go with my son, and we were there for a baseball trip. So he just joined the workout, and man, he just worked out like another adult, just like all the rest of us. Man, he was going full tilt. He's a he's a guy that you could tell. Man, he was taking his workout serious. He didn't uh, he didn't mess around or do anything. Uh, you know, off the side, he wasn't doing his own thing. He was doing the same class that all of us were. But it's kind of cool that when you get a workout, go find a guy that it's kind of like when uh, Ahmad Green came here to D1 Abilene. I got a workout next to him. Those guys, yeah. you can tell, they, they're still in that mode, man. They're still, and Steve Smith was playing at the time, so they wanted to stay in shape and stay ready for the season and be in, in top-notch shape. But he is the kind of guy that didn't seem like his – really his abilities waned at the end of his career that much. I mean, he was still catching a lot of balls for the Baltimore Ravens, having a good career. It seems like he kept himself in great shape. Never seemed like he was – that much slower, that much uh, heavier, or changed changed look. He'd still look like he could go out and play today, even though he's retired. You th- do you think he's a Hall of Famer? I think based on his stats, he probably is. I mean, just looking yeah. at him straight up. I mean, he's all time leading. He's a guy that made a ton of Pro Bowls too, right? He's just the opposite of AJ Hawk. I would imagine he did. Yeah, it seems like he did. Yeah, um, he was always top in the category. For sure, I know he led uh, the NFL. I think it was two thousand and five. He led in receptions overall. So he had a couple years there. Where he, he was, you know, elite premier top-notch guy leading the league in uh, reception so yeah yeah it, it's interesting when you start talking all the fame i've like like we've talked about it with baseball but i'm the same way in basketball i'm i mean i think i think the the amount of years you play obviously has something to do with longevity and things but i'm always just a more of a gut you know before i even look at the stats it's, hey did you know when i say your name did number one do i think hall of fame and number two did other teams like game plan like around like, did, you? Did other teams go, hey, we're not running, yeah, or we're not doing this because of AJ Hawk? And I don't know that they really did. He was really good, but I don't know if they really did that. Yeah. But you know, guys went into meetings and said, okay, we got to make sure Steve Smith doesn't kill us. You know, we got to right. put our best guy on him or that type of thing. So that's kind of my litmus test. Too. So I could, I mean, gosh, fifteen thousand yards and over a thousand reception. 
I mean, yeah, maybe so. I don't know. It's, it's not good. like it's not like Jerry Rice. You say Jerry Rice, you're like automatic Hall of Fame. He's in, right? And AJ yeah. Hawk's not like uh, Dick Buckus of our of a uh, era bygone era that we remember. But Dick Buckus, you know, he'd say, uh, yeah, every team playing around him, right? He was a middle linebacker that everybody was scared of. You you made sure that two guys had him accounted for in every series. I mean, uh, Vince Lombardi, I believe, said he was uh, Dick Buckus was the only guy he ever game planned around. So, you know, yeah, right. yeah. Those guys, you know, you say the name, you're like, yeah, they're in. Yeah, but, uh, yeah, you're right. Steve Smith, A.J. Hawk, there's a little bit. I don't think they'll be first ballot guys. That's always the big, you know, litmus test as well, or your first ballot guy to get in. You know, the, is, it, is it that obvious? Probably not. But there'll be guys to be considered to be on the bubble for sure. Now, here's a guy that won't be considered Ferris, another guy that won't be playing. We're talking about guys retiring and uh, not playing. Uh, Randy Gregory for the Dallas Cowboys is now out for an entire year. This is a guy the Cowboys got uh, for a bargain price because his uh, skill set was amazing, but because he had problems with uh, uh, different drug issues and uh, off-the-field issues in college, his stock dropped. The Cowboys got him for a bargain. I guess you could say that. I don't even know if you could say that now since he's now suspended for another year. He's been on suspension. He missed a drug test got put on a 10-game suspension, now comes back and plays brief time, and now he's out for a year after failing again. So Randy Gregory, uh, it's, it's, it's what everybody says about the Dallas Cowboys. You know, you hope they do well, but at the end of the season, they seem to implode. You get the Greg Hardys of the world, and you get the, uh, Dar- the Randy Gregories, and it just seems like, you know, now instead of talking about Dak Prescott and Ezekiel Elliott and the kind of great years that offensive line and that offensive had and a no-name defense playing, now suddenly you're talking about the Dallas Cowboys again in the same vein you were last year with Greg Hardy. Now you're talking about, you know, a guy getting uh, suspended for uh, breaking the drug policy. So the Dallas Cowboys seem to have that same mentality that happens year in, year out. Jerry Jones hopefully will be able to change his mentality in the draft and not have to try and take some of these guys who have great athletic talent, but off the field they have some issues like they have in the past because now they're getting a solid, solid offense. They have a running back. They have a quarterback. They have a good offensive line. So hopefully we can avoid that. Yeah, you know, when I looked at that, you know, first you hear it and it doesn't surprise you because the guy's had a his- some issues with that. But then you look at it and, go, and, and it, they're, they're kind of they're saying that he's suspended for violating the policy. But it, it almost made it sound like it, they, he didn't have a positive test. He just missed a test. I know. The same thing. A missed test and is so, the same as a positive test. Either way, he did that. That's what he actually got the 10-game suspension for, I believe. He just missed the test. Yeah. So you assume, you know, people, people like us, you know, most people – 90% of America goes, well, he must have been on something. That's why he missed. But if you've been around these superstar athletes enough, sometimes they just they just don't go. They just don't do stuff because they don't want to. Like, like it's very possible the guy wasn't on drugs. He just went, I don't want to go do it, so I ain't doing it. You know, I mean. Millions of so, dollars, and you only have a short career. You know, athletes. Well, you've been around. Yes, I know exactly what you're talking before, about. Right, where you go, why wouldn't you just do that? Yeah. Why don't you just go to class? I don't want to. Well, what are you talking about, you know? Yeah. When an average lifespan of an NFL player is somewhere between three and four years, and that's when you have to make your money. And you have, a, and you have talent like Randy Gregory who can be on a suspension, come back, and start and play very, very well. There's, there's you know, less than 1% of the human population could even fathom doing that, you know, playing at an elite level after not playing for that period of time of being out. He comes back and he does it, and he has such a short career to make his money for what he does, and then he just blows it. It's just, it's just mind-boggling, absolutely mind-boggling. You know, you turned me on to Last Chance You, and we had the yes. coach and the AD yeah. on. If you watch that, now that's a, that's a different group of guys, right? Yes, that's it not is. All, that's not all athletes, right? Those yeah. are athletes who are there for a specific reason. It's right. their last chance. But you watch those guys. 
they'll have a game coming up where yep. all the scouts are coming to watch him, and the lady will say, just go to class. Well, I don't want to. I don't want to. And I know. Like, are you kidding me? <laughs> it you, is mind-boggling. that show. Put earmuffs on and watch the show. <laughs> yep, last chance you. Hey, you're listening to Docs and Jocks, your sports medicine radio show. We'll be right back after this short commercial break. Hey, welcome back to Docs and Jocks, your sports medicine radio show, brought to you from your Docs and Jocks radio studio. Great to have you with us today. Just catching our show for the very first time, and maybe you missed a previous episode and want to catch up on it, you can go to uh, Docs and Jocks on your iTunes app, D-O-X-N-J-O-X, or you can go to DocsandJocks.com. Love to have you be part of our show any way you want to, so you can do that by going to our website, DocsandJocks.com. Hey, joined each week by my co-host, Ferris Potter. Uh, Ferris, uh, I thought we'd have on a guest. Uh, we had him on a few weeks ago talking about his career, but... Man, he, we uh, failed to talk about one of the cool things that happened to him at Rice University where Mac Mueller is a uh, freshman pitcher there. He was the uh, star player and pitcher for Wiley High School last year who won the 4A state championship in baseball. And uh, Mac was fortunate enough to head down with Rice University and uh, play. It was supposed to play a 12-day series of baseball games with uh, the Cuban Baseball Federation. So, Mac, tell us about uh, your trip down there and the planning of it. And uh, were you excited about it? Was the team pretty pumped for it when you're heading off to uh, Cuba? Well, the team was very, very split between excited about going and not excited because a lot of the dudes are Texas guys who haven't left the state of Texas, even <laughs> yeah. the country before, yeah. and let alone go to yeah. Cuba. And Mac, of by all the way, places. is from Germany. Grew up in Germany, where he played for the uh, played in the Little League World Series. So you've kind of been a traveler with your dad, who's in the Air Force, and mm-hmm. yeah, uh, that was Cuba was actually country number twenty nine on my personal <laughs> list, and my dad's up over thirty five, I think, with his. Wow. And we've played. What did I do? I counted. 11 different countries I've played baseball in. Wow. So that's, that's rare, that's, man. So being able to play in that many different yeah. places against many different cultures has definitely been a special opportunity to mine. But Cuba was one of the greatest experiences because it's such a baseball-heavy country. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And part of that is because, and the reason we're talking about this, is while you were there, Fidel Castro, who has been the dictator there in Cuba for the last, I don't know, 30, 40 years, he passes away while you're there. You're actually witness, kind of a witness to history. Mm-hmm. Fidel Castro passes away. So tell us what it's like. So you played a few baseball games. Then the news comes out. In fact, you brought in the newspaper that you uh, brought in the, the uh, what they call it? The Grandma. It's their uh, you know, Cuban, Cuban Communist Party yeah. newspaper. Um, so we took the trip. We left on a Wednesday. And we play. We had practice Thursday and a game on Friday. And Friday night we went out to dinner. And then somebody had been on the internet that night and heard something about Fidel Castro dying well when Saturday morning rolled around and we were supposed to have practice on Saturday morning that's when they called us into this little conference room and kind of a private area to gather everybody up and talk about what was going forward and what had happened and how is, it was going to affect with your the coaches Cuban or people. with yeah. the Cuban well uh this was with um our coaches and our two professors one of them Luis Duno Gottberg is from Venezuela and is our Cuban culture professor because the trip was part of a class that oh, we, okay. we had to take for, for so the it's semester. It's educational and a baseball mm-hmm. trip. Both. And it was, one of the, it was the first educational baseball trip taken by a university. That so really that cool. was, it was yeah. magnificent. But they kind of expressed what the plan was, how this affected history, how this affected yeah. our trip, and to be respectful to the Cuban people because, believe it or not, the Cuban people really loved Castro. Mm-hmm. And he was their idol their god so going forward we just had to be respectful and they explained that you know baseball is probably going to be done and we weren't sure if we were leaving early or staying the whole trip so it was kind of a 
moment of crisis there for a little while. But and they decided to over, then not to play the rest of the games, right? Did they cancel the rest of the games? Did so you play some of them? Cuba entered a nine-day mourning period uh-huh. in which they canceled all baseball games in the whole country. Oh, the Cuban wow. Baseball Federation was canceled. So that's the the teams that we were playing weren't allowed to play oh, okay, anyway okay. either. So. Yeah. Therefore, baseball was canceled. So you had played some games up to that point in time, and the Cuban Baseball Federation, I guess, is the Cuban MLB because mm-hmm. they're not allowed to play in the MLB. So what was the talent level on those teams? Were you playing guys who were older? I mean, is, are these professional athletes that are older guys? Or are you, are uh, some, of them, some of them were college age. Some of them were into their 30s. So it was definitely really cool to see the big, broad spectrum of players. Of course, we only got to play one team. so Oh, you did? There's not yeah. so much experience there. And by the way, you beat them, right? We did. Five nothing. <laughs> yeah. Just to make, sure, just to make sure that clear. Ferris, you have a question for Mac? Yeah, Mac, did did you guys I mean, when you guys heard the news, was the, did the whole team kind of realize the the historicalness of the situation? Was everybody kinda of like, Whoa, I can't believe we're here when this happened? Yeah, the the, the coaches and the, our professors especially definitely expressed that idea to us mainly so we would understand and be respectful because Americans in Cuba, not they're kind of iffy about that anyway, but yeah. during that time period, it was even more important. It was more important that we, we be respectful and kind of keep a low profile while we were there. Was there ever any question about your safety? I mean, in, in Miami, they're mm-hmm. having, uh, they had celebrations. Celebrations, they're having, they're having parties. They're going crazy. Were the Cuban people aware of that? Were you all aware of that? They're having parties in America. They, you know, they explained that morning. to us, too, that we, we were – weren't supposed to do that because we have two guys that are from Miami. Oh, okay. And so okay. They, they're not Cuban defects or family of Cuban defects by any means. But we were aware of that, and we spent that whole Saturday at the hotel in an area where we knew we'd be safe. So our professors could go out and see how the Cuban people had reacted. And then Sunday they expressed that we we were going to be safe, it was going to be okay, things were going to be fine, and then they convinced our coaches to let us stay for the rest of the trip. Oh, good. Awesome. Were you guys able to communicate with your families? I, I imagine, well, your folks, you know, being overseas so much probably weren't as concerned. But I know a lot, as a parent, if, you, if that happens, yeah. you're like, man, my kid's in a I hotel. Totally see too, that. But were yeah. you guys able to talk to them? As uh, we, we were by, able to buy Internet cards and be able to talk to them and be able to tell them that, hey, we're okay. The, the Rice University people did a, a very good job at giving our, our families notice and being able to tell them that we were safe. And it was, it was totally fine. We, we were in no danger at all. Hey, we're talking to Matt Mueller, a Rice baseball player who just took a trip down to Cuba, was there actually when Fidel Castro passed away. So uh, when the games were canceled, did you continue on with the educational, cultural side of your uh, trip? But yeah, that, because we needed to get um, – so it was a – we took a three-hour course during the semester, and then we had three hours of class time in Cuba, which is 48 hours worth of class time the way they, they do that week by week, for it to count for three hours. So we did a lot of touring around Havana and – historical sites and learning about we went to a tobacco tobacco farm and a rum factory the cigar factory so that was that was a great experience. wait a minute so you got a bunch of rice college baseball players you went to a rum factory and a cigar factory what do y'all what's going on down there (laughs) (laughs) i thought y'all weren't partying we were we were not (laughs) okay ferris hey so uh you mentioned you know they they shut down the baseball i'm sure they had a lot of mourning going on down there that week but what was the feel like of the folks? You had mentioned that you know they a lot of the folks down there really liked Castro. I'm sure there were some folks who didn't like him. Uh, but what was the feel? I'm you know of the country after that happened. It was rather quiet because the the Cuban people, being being Latin American, have a very they have very flourish and they're very loud and they're big into the parties and live music and things like that. And it just all kind of shut down for a couple of days and it was really quiet 
post Castro's death because we went out to dinner a couple times and had live music and the couple nights before he died and then after that it was really quiet we didn't really go anywhere right and there weren't a lot of people out and the way it kind of works is so Fidel Castro came from a middle class family a farm family and they didn't have a lot when he was growing up and so when he rose to power that was his emphasis was to give things back to the middle class farm people of Cuba. Well, when he did that, he paid no attention to the people in the cities of Havana and the, the other big cities like Cienfuegos and uh, there's a couple more. But when that happened, the Cuban people in the cities were lacking and they stayed like it was 1960. Wow. But the farm people were finally brought up from years past to that level. And so the people in the cities are a little more liberal. They really don't like Castro. But the conservative people in in the the farm economies, they loved Castro. Oh, okay. A little education there for me. Ferris? That's, that's, that's kind of like us. The people in the <laughs> yeah. rural areas yeah. like certain politicians, and the people in the cities like different politicians. Absolutely. <laughs> yep. Hey, um, Mac, but what, you know, I've, I've always kind of been enamored with Cuba, obviously from afar. Like, man, I, I'd love to go there. I'd love to check it out. seems like there's, it's a great country that just kind of, I know, you know, needs, you know, for the lack of a better word, capitalism or business or whatever to kind of help it evolve. But what, what was your take on the country as you got to do some sightseeing? The, the country is absolutely beautiful. It's kind of like a little time capsule. The, the buildings are all older, sort of uh, French and Spanish and from when those, those countries took over Cuba before the, before the revolution. And then all the cars are also very old because after the embargo, no more American cars came over. So... A lot of the taxis and cars people are driving around are either foreign-made or from the 50s. So there's Chevy Bel Airs, Pontiacs, just from 1955 driving around perfectly. And the best part is they're not, they don't have the original motors in them because gasoline is very expensive. So they have these diesel engines in old Chevys, which is absolutely fascinating to me Yeah, because they're <laughs> – taking what they have and doing as much as they can with it, which was a big emphasis on because Mm -hmm. there's not a lot of, they don't trade a lot with other countries. They don't have a lot of international relations anymore. Right. And so, because they were very shut off for many, many years. So they, throughout the eighties and nineties, they had to do with what they, they had to do what they could with what they had. And that's just an emphasis on the the Cuban people themselves. Did you feel like it was the same way with, uh, like, the baseball teams you played against? I mean, did they have to do with what they had? Did they seem like they had, you know, equipment that was the same as y'all's equipment? Did this, did, I mean, uh, you obviously played against their, their national teams, so they obviously had some. But More or less, but you could definitely tell with, with some of the little kids, everybody always wanted a ball or, right. or a glove or something from you because, obviously, they don't, they don't get a lot of that. They don't have a lot of the opportunities to get equipment that we do. And But – it was definitely very, very interesting to see the way that they play the game. It's yeah. very it's very different from ours. And you can see that with Yasiel Puig and Hernandez and Chapman and how yeah. how they play the game is completely different than the Americans, and that's how the Cuban people play. Did they that's all play like Yasiel Puig and mm-hmm. kind of hot dog Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. That's funny. Ferris? So when you say they play differently, like, like what do you mean? There's, there's, like, a, there's like a definite flair. They do things a little more relaxed. The hands are loose. I mean, the infields, as wonderful as they were, were not up to American in standards, but they were very nice fields, don't get me wrong. But the hops that they got are definitely different than ours, which makes oh, yeah. a lot of sense why the yeah. infielders are so good when they finally get to the United States because yeah. with the yeah. perfect infields, it's impossible <laughs> to make hand. an error. <laughs> right, exactly. You know, uh, we did a little research on Fidel Castro. I always grew up thinking that Fidel Castro had a chance to play Major League Baseball. He was a great baseball player. Well, actually, that's a little bit of a, well, a big myth, actually. He played, possibly played for University of Havana. 
uh, was a pitcher there, and then whether or not he was ever scouted by the major leagues or whether or not he ever had a tryout, that's all up for uh, uh, debate. But it does. there's nothing uh, concrete. And you did a little research as well. They've only, you said they only found one documented game. One documented game in which Fidel Castro was on a lineup in a box score. Wow. Yeah. Ferris? No, I just say if, if I ever took over a country, I would get the word out that I had a chance to play pro ball, too. Like, <laughs> yeah. I, it's no, very understandable why. I played pro ball. <laughs> I played pro ball. You, they just took me out of the record books because they're American pigs. That's what I would put out there. Hey, Max, speak to this. Uh, I just came back with my son from Florida where he was playing at a perfect game event, and you played lots of those showcases uh, in your career. But there is a lot of really good Latin American players coming from the Dominican, coming from Puerto Rico, coming from trying to get here from Cuba, from Mexico, Venezuela. But there is a, a large portion. You see it in the Major League Baseball ranks now, a lot bigger percentage than it used to. But those guys are trying to either get off the island in Dominican, they go to these camps, these academies, and live there. But it is a big percentage, and there's some good ball players coming up through there. There is. There's, I mean, I had the opportunity uh, summer before my junior year to go to the Dominican Republic and play. Uh-huh. Uh, we played eight games in the Dominican Republic in a week. Yeah. And it was that was wonderful, too, wonderful experience. So taking that trip and relating it to this trip to Cuba, I would have loved to watch more Cuban baseball. Right. Yeah. Ferris? Hey, uh, Mac, what are your thoughts? I mean, you, you were down there. You saw it happen. You, got, you guys studied it in the class. What are your thoughts? And even if you want to share some of your professor's thoughts, when that happened, wh- where do you think Cuba goes from here? Is, is it now going to open up and, and be an open society, or will they kind of double down and try to keep it the way they have been? I, I would like to think that the Cuban people are headed in, in, the, in the right direction and that Raul Castro is headed into a better foreign policy with the United States. I would obviously like to see Major League Baseball be able to make a deal with, with the Cuban people because the way Cuban baseball works is they grow their kids. The government puts money into their Little League programs from the very beginning. So five, six-year-old kids are getting funding from the government to grow baseball players. And wow. they're putting hundreds of thousands of dollars into these baseball players that come out. Wow. Well, then when they, when they grow up, they play region by region. And so all the Cuban Baseball Federation teams are from the 11 provinces of Cuba. And then those go down into regional teams, and those regional teams build the national team. So those national players, there's hundreds of thousands of dollars put in there. And then major league programs come over and just take them for, because (laughs) they have more money, they can just take them away from the Cuban people. So I would like to see major league baseball be able to make a deal with the Cuban people and be able to give some of that money back to Cuba and not have it be a private capitalist build and be able to put more money into the Cuban baseball people and be able to bring players from Cuba and be able to expand Major League Baseball quite a bit. Right. Ferris? No, I was just going to say, I, th- I think that's a, that's a brilliant idea, Mac. And, I, I, you know, they're talking about possibly moving some teams in MLB. And, you know, I know they've talked about Mexico. They talked about back in Canada. But, you know, I, those folks who were celebrating down in Florida would not like this. But, man, having a team like in Puerto Rico, having a team in Dominican, having teams over there, those are quick little plane flights. That makes a lot of sense to me because those countries are just baseball crazy. Absolutely. And and we had we had a couple thousand people at this, this baseball game, which was in a small farm town wow. and kind of in the middle of nowhere against one of their lower lower tier teams. But uh-huh. because the Cuban people love baseball so much, they came. And what's really interesting is they don't just cheer for their particular team like the United States does quite a bit. It's for the love of the game yeah in the honest terms of the words because 
they cheer for every big play, every big hit. When we had guys hitting lasers all over the place, they were really excited about seeing that. Oh, that was cool. fantastic. You didn't have to en- answer this question. I've seen you play enough, but you raked it, didn't you? I know you did. You don't have to answer the question. <laughs> but, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but it, it, I think the uh, it would make a lot of sense. And, you know, before the uh, before the embargo, before the Castro regime, you know, we did have minor league teams down there, and mm-hmm. it was a, a definitely a pool of players that were coming to the major leagues and, and it was uh, kind of a farm system. So. Uh, believe it or not, uh, Coach Graham actually played for a AAA team <laughs> Did he really? and played of against course. the the people <laughs> in in Havana. So that was yeah. it. Was his second trip to Cuba. <laughs> of course, over it's 50 Wayne years Graham. Later. What has he not done in the baseball world? Of course, <laughs> no he's already kidding. played down there. So hey, we had just had on Mac Mueller. Mac, I want to say thank you for being on Docs and Jocks and tell us about being a witness to history there in Cuba when you were there with the uh, Rice Owls. Good luck to you this season, and uh, man, we're watching your career. Thank you. Thank you for All having right. me. All right. Hey, we'll be right back. With more Docs and Jocks after this short commercial break. Hey, welcome back to Docs and Jocks, your sports medicine radio show. Coming to you live from inside Docs and Jocks Radio Studio. Great to have you with us today. Just catching our show for the very first time. Want to find out more about it? You can do that by going to docsandjocks.com, D-O-X-N-J-O-X.com, or you can go to our iTunes podcast and just download Docs and Jocks, D-O-X-N-J-O-X. And love to be part of our show on social media. I'm my show. My name is Dr. Dan. Longtime sports medicine physician with Texas Sport and Spine. That's what we do here in our show. We talk about what's going on in the sports medicine world, have some great interviews with some great athletes like the one we just had with Mac Mueller, uh, currently with the Rice Owls, where he's playing outfield and pitching. And uh, Ferris, I thought it was a fun interview. It's always fun to talk about, uh, you know, sports, I think, uh, does a lot of things in a lot of different ways other than just play the game. I mean, you get to be part of history like Mac was where you're down there in Cuba and you get to see – you know, how the Cubans reacted when Fidel Castro passes away. I think all sports teaches you a lot about not just baseball, but also a lot about life. And I think that's what that interview was talking about. Yeah, that was really cool. I mean, it's, it's neat to be down there when that happens and to get a firsthand um, view of it. And I, I think it also, you know, the testament, what Mac mentioned about sports kind of brings people together too. it. It yeah. crosses those boundaries where probably a lot of Cubans who are cheering for those American boys don't really aren't really that fond of America possibly but they love baseball so it doesn't right. you, you know you're not an American playing baseball anymore you're just a baseball player and they see good talent and they want to cheer it on and they love it and I would I would love to see relations normalize and and businesses get down there and people center to living improve and it just makes sense like you mentioned to have either minor league teams down there or you know do some spring training games down there and possibly even a major league baseball team yeah. I, I think it'd be great yeah, they used to have affiliated teams down in, in Cuba. But I did learn some for that interview, just doing the research for it. I always, had, I always had falsely assumed that Fidel Castro was a great young baseball player that had been scouted by the big leagues, and really that was all just kind of a myth. <laughs> so, you know, you know yeah. I learned things from Docs and Jocks. I had, heard, I had heard the same thing. I don't remember if I remember I'd heard that he'd actually, you know, gotten a look. I remember that he was – I'd heard he was a tall pitcher that wanted to play baseball, but he wasn't good enough to be a pro. But I didn't, I didn't, I didn't know that he maybe didn't even play at all. Just <laughs> think how that changes world history if Cuba, you know, if we take Fidel Castro, if the Dodgers take him in the draft and he becomes a Dodger and he's not down there to lead the political coup and uh, the, uh, Cuba ends up being a democracy, maybe part of America like Puerto Rico or something like that. But, man, what a change of uh, drastic change for the Cuban people that would have been. Yeah, it's Tommy Lasorda's fault. Yeah, that's exactly right. Exactly it's all, right. It's all, it's all Tommy's fault. Maybe a Walt Alston at that time. I was going to say it's probably Walt Alston. Tommy Lasorda is <laughs> actually p- playing the same time, so the manager before him. But uh, yeah, hey, a couple things. Uh, you know, we got to talk about the NFL fairs uh, as far as sports injuries and sports uh, medicine being part of the news. I mean, you just go down the list. We're going to go down through the wild card weekend. I'm gonna, not only going to get your predictions, but we're going to talk about some of the uh, injuries that are really going to change this weekend. 
Let's start off with the uh, Oakland Raiders and the uh, and the Houston Texans. The Raiders and the Texans. First of all, give me your pick. Who you going there? Who's your gut feel? You know, I think it's going to be awful. I think the Raiders are a better team, <laughs> but they got their third string quarterback. They're, they're a better team, but they got the third string quarterback. That's um, what we're going to talk about. But the the first string quarterback for Houston's not very good either. <laughs> no, he's the I second stringer. I think it's going to end in a tie, and they're not going to let either of them advance, and they're just going to let whoever they would have played advance to yeah, the. Uh, this is a brutal. No, one. I'm going to I'm going to take the Raiders. Going to go I'm Raiders. Raiders. You're yeah, going to go with uh, Connor Cook as the rookie quarterback. You're you're talking about Connor Cook is going to set a uh, new all time record. He's going to be the very first quarterback to ever have his first start in the NFL be a playoff game. Connor Cook is the uh, guy that's going to be doing that. And it's all because Derek Carr, who really Derek Carr is an MVP candidate in my book. Uh, we're going to talk about yep. some of those MVP guys later on in the show. But he you know, goes out and he breaks the fibula, the bone on the outside of the uh, leg, the smaller bone. It's kind of a strut bone on the outside of your lower leg. He has a fracture there. So he's out. And then, you know, Matt, McGla- Matt McGloin was already out, the, his backup, with a uh, shoulder injury. So you take out the starter, you take out the backup. So Connor Cook is now thrust into that position. So... You're right. You also talked about the uh, Houston Texans having the same situation where their starter is out. Tom Savage is still out with a uh, – he suffered a concussion. He's going through the protocol. He's not been cleared. He did that on a quarterback sneak, by the way. Here's, one, here's a, a learning lesson for the Houston Texans. Yeah. Maybe in a game right before the playoffs, limit your number of quarterback sneaks because we all know what playoff <laughs> games look like when you got backup quarterbacks in there. But – it is Brock Osweiler, and they are paying Brock Osweiler. What are they paying him? This is a seventy-two. Well, he started a seventy-two million year. dollar contract. And he's the backup right now. So yeah. yeah, they're really playing the backup who was the starter, but he lost the starting position to Tom Savage. But they're paying Brock Osweiler seventy-two million dollars to uh, play for them. So obviously, hopefully, he's going to do his thing. But there's a lot of pressure on Brock Osweiler. By the way, seventy-two million dollars. You're the backup. You get thrust into a playoff game. You probably want to win that game. Yeah, I think there's a lot of uh, pressure on the Texans. I mean, they've been making the playoffs. They play in a really weak division. And I know I hear people all the time going, oh, they're the number one defense in, the, in, in you know, ranked, whatever ranking they look at. But I think it's more because of who they play than anything else. Like, yeah. I, I just don't think they're a very good team. I think there's a few playoff teams that you're like going, wow, they just kind of made it because somebody had to make it. Yeah, and that's that a different team, too, if you have J.J. Watson there. If he's, oh, yeah. you know, healthy and didn't have to end up undergoing back surgery like he did and had that's a recurrent you know, disc herniation. So, yeah, they they are definitely going in banged up. Who do you like? You know, out of those two, I like the Raiders, I think. I think Honestly, I think Brock Osweiler has way more pressure on him than Connor Cook, even though Connor Cook's a rookie. I'm going to pick the Raiders. I think overall this year that team came together. I just haven't seen much from the Texans. I mean, just don't, I, don't, I just don't see where – this is all going to come together for him in the last game. But, you know, it's, it's a tough yeah. one to pick. There is one stat I thought you might like. The Texans have won 100% of their games if they have led at halftime. Uh, they're the only team to have done that since 2013. So if they are winning at it's halftime. probably because they never lead at halftime. <laughs> yeah, so rarely is that what you're saying. They won one, yeah. one game. It's a weird stat that I just threw out there. Hey, didn't uh, – didn't, uh, yeah, because you talk about um, – um, uh, what's his name? Uh, Derek Carr, yeah, breaking his his leg. Fibula. That exact same week, like uh, Marcus Mariota broke like the same thing, didn't yeah. he? Yeah, yeah. Your fibula like is the same a week. yeah. It's an interesting bone. It makes up the outer aspect of your ankle. So if you have a distal fibular fracture or, or fa- a fibular fracture down near the ankle, if it involves the joint, it can be a really really bad injury. If you break it uh, kind of in the mid-shaft area, it oftentimes doesn't even require surgery. It can oftentimes heal on its own. 
yet it's not as big an injury because it doesn't involve the ankle joint then. It's not a heavy weight-bearing bone. The biggest weight-bearing bone in your lower leg is your tibia. It's the one that you know makes up the majority of your knee. Uh, it's biggest. It, it bears weight about 85% of your weight when you walk on it. So you're really you think of it as a strut bone, and kind of on the outside the fibula. It's just if it involves that ankle joint down low. So different types of fibular fractures have different long-term ramifications and prognoses as a p- compared to like some of your bones. If you break your tibia, it's an 85% weight-bearing bone. You're going to be non-weight-bearing for at least six weeks. You know those kind of things. So yeah, there's it's not as bad of a fracture in some cases, and in other times it can be just as bad. So makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Well, it could be an ugly game because, you know, whenever we see backups play, and Oswald, like we said, was the starter at one point, but he played like a backup when he was a starter. It's mm-hmm. it's uh, it's going to be some ugly games. But I think the Raiders <laughs> yeah. are a better team top to bottom. Yeah, so that's what I was thinking I think they can too. win it. And then we'll move on to the uh, Lions versus the Seahawks. Not a lot of injury news oh. here. Matt Stafford had that uh, injury to his long finger and his throwing hand. has been wearing that glove with a one-finger uh, slot in it so he can grip the ball better. He has thrown some more interceptions during that time frame. He's also, however, thrown for a lot of yardage. And Matt Stafford's one of those guys. He's a little bit of a gunslinger. Reminds me of uh, Aaron Rodgers, maybe uh, even a Brett Favre back in the day. You know, kind of a gunslinger. He throws it from all angles. He can throw it just as well. It seems like sidearm sometimes on a screen play to throw it around him as opposed to doing a real pretty pass over top, which he can also do. So that's really the only injury that's out there that's um, maybe a little bit concerning to the Lions, but he's been able to play with it the last few weeks. So Lions versus Seahawks, who are you going with? Um, I'm going to go with the Seahawks. I do too. I think uh, Russell home. Wilson, yeah. I think, their, I think their quarterback play has been dreadful this year, but I think I think that is due to an injury. He keeps saying his legs are fine, but I don't I don't think they are because he does not look the same, Russell Wilson. Yeah. But I, I just don't think the Seahawks are going to lose at home. and. Unfortunately, it's more the fact that the, historically the Lions just don't get the break or make the play when they need to. Yeah. But I love Stafford. I mean, Stafford reminds me of basically a, a little bit bigger, maybe a little bit uh, less movable Aaron Rodgers with that arm strength and what he can do. But he just hasn't had the success, you yeah. know, that, that that Rodgers has had. But he's fantastic, and they got a good team. I just it's hard, I mean, believe Matt Stafford has never, it's hard to believe Matt Stafford has never won a playoff game. He's 0-2 in playoff no. games. This is also the, the uh, football game that has two quarterbacks who are also uh, great baseball players. Matt Stafford uh, grew up in the Metroplex area, was a great baseball player. He was actually teammates with uh, Clayton Kershaw, and there was even an argument between the two of them. They were going to go back and forth who was the better baseball player growing up. But Matt Stafford obviously had a strong arm, and you know, you know Clayton Kershaw speaks for himself, probably the best pitcher in the major leagues. But then Russell Wilson was drafted by the uh, Texas Rangers uh, as a baseball player as well. So two baseball players who are quarterbacks leading their team. Yeah, I mean, I I like Russell Wilson. He's obviously had a great career. He just doesn't look like he's the same this year. And without Marshawn Lynch, they've struggled a bit. I just, I don't know. I just can't see Detroit winning on the road. They've kind of stumbled down the stretch here. They had a chance to win that division and not even be playing type of thing, you know. And I don't know. I don't see it happening. So Pete Carroll, being as stubborn as he is, they have uh, their th- – fourth and one on the goal line and they decide to go for it is he throwing the ball or is he running it absolutely throwing the ball <laughs> i guarantee he's gonna throw it again man he's gonna send them all set their heads on fire yeah, you know what I, what I like about pete carroll is immediately after that play he said listen the process to get to that decision was correct i can't control the outcome the process to make that call was correct i got no problem with it it just didn't mm-hmm. work out and i actually like that because yeah. i'm like I, I hate the guys who go, oh, it was a horrible play. If he had completed that pass, everybody bashing him would You're have been brilliant. Going, yeah. That was genius. Yeah. Everybody thought, you know, so I hate that stuff. So, no, Pete, yeah, he's, he's absolutely going to he's gonna throw it. It's going to work, and then he's going to look at the TV camera and kind of give him the middle finger probably. <laughs> exactly. All right, we've got Dolphins versus the Steelers. So you've got a 10-6 team, 11-5 team. 
Uh, the Dolphins went into Pittsburgh earlier this year and just absolutely uh, killed them. But Ryan Tannehill is now out. Matt Moore is your starter. Uh, remember, he's this will be his, I believe, his fourth week in a row t- uh, due to uh, an injury to Tannehill where he sprained his ACL, the big ligament in your knee, uh, your, one of your crisscross ligaments called your anterior cruciate ligament and the medial collateral ligament on the inside of your knee, one of your stabilizers of your knee going back and forth. And so he's still out. He uh, tried to come back. He didn't look like he was moving well, so they went ahead and picked Matt Moore to start again this week. They're 2-1, and one, the Dolphins are, with Matt Moore. Man, listen to this, Ferris. Matt Moore has a 105.6% passer rating. So it hasn't been like they've been suffering without uh, Ryan Tannehill. 2-1 and one with 105 passer rating is pretty good. And the Dolphins beat Roethlisberger when, uh, Roethlisberger and the Steelers when uh, Roethlisberger got injured during that game, and Tannehill was healthy. So who would you pick with uh, the Dolphins and Steelers with a Ryan Tannehill Dolphin list or, uh, or, or the Dolphins not having their starting quarterback? Who are you going with? Well, um, you know, you can't predict an injury. If Ben Roethlisberger gets hurt in that game again, that could be different. But yeah, I don't, I don't see Pittsburgh losing that game at home. I mean, Le'Veon Bell is probably the best player in yeah. football next to David Johnson. I mean, those two are one A and one B. You got the one of the best receivers in football. You got a really good quarterback who's been there. I don't, I don't see the Dolphins. That's a big task for the Dolphins to come up with their win. And now, having said that, I would love to see the Dolphins win it because I was, I thought it was ridiculous. Everybody jumped on Terry Bradshaw when he questioned. Mike Tomlin being yeah. a good coach. Oh, man. He basically Went said the him. guy hasn't won anything. He won with another guy's team, and he's had great. He's had Ben Roethlisberger, a great quarterback for years, and he, he hasn't done anything other than that one Super Bowl with, with you know, Bill Cowher's guys. Call him a good cheerleader, right? Him, and everybody yeah. jumped all over Bradshaw. Uh-huh. And so I would love to see what they say if, if by chance, the Dolphins go up there and beat them. But I don't think it's going to happen. Not a big uh, injury news story uh, with the Giants versus the Packers, but has the biggest uh, ramifications. Wait, 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 for- wait, 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 wait. Who uh, do you like in that game? The Giants-Packers? No, no. The, the, you didn't pick the Oh, I didn't pick. I'm, I'm picking the Steelers. I think anytime you lose your starting quarterback, Matt Moore may be good, but Ben Roethlisberger. I mean, I'm an Arizona Cardinals fan. I watched him beat the Cardinals single-handedly, oh. it seemed like. You know, and yeah. he just has something about him. That in playoff time, he gets better. And uh, so I think I think the Steelers are going to win. I was surprised the Dolphins went in and beat the Steelers in the first place during the season. So yeah. I think uh, the Steelers at this point in time, they've got it going. Like you said, Le'Veon Bell's awesome. So I think between him and uh, Rossberger, they'll figure out a way to win that game. Yeah, they're scary, the Steelers right now, I think. Yeah. And then uh, Giants-Packers, who are you going with? This is the one of the biggest ramifications for the Dallas Cowboys. They'll play the winner of this game. So you got uh, Eli Manning, who, by the way, uh, he has not lost at Lambeau Field in a playoff game, which is hard to believe. He's one of those quarterbacks that always seems to get better during the playoffs. And you got Aaron Rodgers, who's just the Packers seem like they're picking it up right now. I'm taking the Giants because I think the Packers, it's Aaron Rodgers. He's got he's to carry them the entire way. Like, I literally, you probably can. I, who, who else are you going to name on their team that oh, scares you? I nobody. mean, Tony Nelson. Yeah, he's the I last mean, one left, kind of. But uh, he's been kind of pedestrian. I don't even know who they have on defense anymore. Not A.J. Hawk. <laughs> I, I mean, Aaron, Ro- yeah, Aaron <laughs> Rodgers is like carrying that yeah, team at some is. point. You just can't do it anymore. Yeah. Yeah, I think for the Cowboys' uh, sake, I'd rather play the Packers than the Giants for whatever reason. Yeah, We're 0-2 would. against the Giants. And <laughs> it's the only team we can't beat, it seems like, in the NFC. So I'd Aren't rather... the Giants that scary team? Like, they, they kind of limp in or they look like yes. they're not good and they win the Super Bowl? Yeah. Going, Where did that come from? Because they, they were a wild the card the last time they, they won the, the Super Bowl, right? They were a wild card team when they went on yeah. and beat the uh, Patriots. Every game on the road. Yeah, every game on the road. That's right, man. So yeah. it, 
those are our predictions right there. So, and you're taking the, you said you're taking the Giants, right, in that game? Yeah, I got two, I got two, uh, two home and two away. There you go. Hey, we'll be right back with more Docs and Jacks. When we come back, we'll be talking uh, more sports medicine news here with the Sports Medicine Radio Show, Docs and Jocks. As the Rio Olympics are underway, it's exciting to watch the best athletes in the world compete for one of the most coveted prizes, Olympic gold. One of my favorite parts of the Olympics is hearing the stories of athletes who have overcome great obstacles to be where they are today. In fact, for the first time in history, there is now a team compiled of refugees who have endured unbelievable circumstances in their lives and are given a chance to compete at the highest level. But as with every athlete, the Olympic competition becomes an even playing field. The backstories are inspiring, but each competitor must win based on his or her own performance, skill, and determination. The focus is on competing at their best and winning. But as we see time and time again, sometimes the pressure can get to an athlete. We may wonder, what makes one athlete thrive under pressure while another falls to its weight? Once again, the mental part of sports plays a huge role. You or your child may not be in the Olympics, but what is your response when pressure hits? If you would like to learn more about competing better under pressure, you can contact The Edge Mental Strength Training by clicking on our link at docsandjocks.com. This has been your Mental Strength Minute. On Welcome back to Docs and Jocks, your sports medicine radio show. Comes to you live from inside uh, Docs and Jocks radio studio. Great to have you with us. If you're just catching our show for the very first time, want to find out more about our sports medicine show, you can do that by going to docsandjocks.com or you can go to our iTunes podcast and uh, just type in Docs and Jocks, D-O-X-N-J-O-X. You can also follow us on social media, and you can do that by going to docsandjocks.com. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, you name it. Hey, Ferris, I had a great show so far. we got upcoming in the next uh, segment. I want to go ahead and preview it now. So uh, you don't want to miss it. Patrick Creighton, former Dallas Cowboy wide receiver who came out of Ferris. Get this, Northwest Oklahoma State University. If you haven't heard of it, you're not alone. It's out of Alba, Oklahoma. He played NAIA football and uh, goes from Alba to the Dallas Cowboys wearing the star on his helmet and had a great career with the Dallas Cowboys, one of the leading wide receivers for him for about five years. So won't want to miss the story. And it's a, it's a great story of overcoming a lot of odds and a lot of uh, – he says it, so I'm not saying anything I haven't heard on in a previous interview, but a lot of bad decisions when he was young. He overcomes a lot of those and, and turns his life around. Uh, he he uh, attributes his Christian faith to that. So you won't want to miss an uh, upcoming interview with Patrick Creighton of the Dallas Cowboys coming up here on Docs and Jocks. So uh, we talked a little wild card football uh, Ferris early in the last segment talking about some of the big injuries like Derek Carr, Ryan Tannehill, Tom Savage, some of the injuries that are going to make a difference in this weekend's football games. But, you know, the uh, – our, we're out of uh, based out of the Texas area, so we talk. Everybody loves the Dallas Cowboys, Ferris. By the way, it's America's team. <laughs> America's so, team. So we can talk a little Dallas Cowboys a little bit more while we've got Patrick. Creighton I have a question coming. for you about yeah. that. I hate to interrupt you, but the old stadium had a hole so that God could watch the game. The new one doesn't have a hole, right? God's just with him at all times. So they, they, <laughs> they didn't need a hole. He's just already with him now. We know that. So He got up his game, too. Yes, he that's did. Yes, he okay. did. He did when he brought on Ezekiel <laughs> oh, Elliott and Dak Prescott, if that's who brought him. Man, thank you. Thank studio, you. Thank you, God, for that offensive line. So the Dallas Cowboys <laughs> yeah. go out, and they actually get some depth. And the, the, the reason was they had some injuries that were starting to pile up on the offensive line. And, man, that offensive line has been uh, really what everybody's been talking about this year, why Ezekiel Elliott, Dak Prescott's had the time to throw, and Ezekiel Elliott's been able to uh, rush for what he's done this year. So, But they go out and they sign a guard, Jonathan Cooper. And you might remember him, Ferris. Jonathan Cooper, in 2013, the Arizona Cardinals yeah. moved up to pick him at number seven overall. 
and uh, just ends up having an injury. He broke his fibula in the preseason. He couldn't ever get back of the team. They end up trading him to bring in uh, who was the defensive end they brought in from the uh, Patriots for a short while there that uh, did real well last year at the very end of the season. But anyway, they ended up trading him. So he's a number seven overall pick, and uh, they no long, the Arizona Cardinals let him go basically. And uh, now uh, the Patriots have let him go, and the Dallas Cowboys go ahead and pick him up because they need some uh, backup. Lael Collins, uh, the guard, is still on the injury reserve list, but he tr- he actually practiced this week, so he's a possible uh, possibility to play next week uh, when we play the uh, winner of the Giants or Packers game. And uh, remember, Collins is the guy that had the surgery on his big toe. We had Dr. Dale Funk come on and talk about the surgery to the volar plate of the big toe. If you want to go back and hear that interview where we describe that injury in detail, you can do that by going to docsandjocks.com and uh, find the interview we did with Dr. Dale Funk talking about Leo Collins' injury. So he is possible for next week, but with him not possibly playing, uh, they bring on Jonathan Cooper as well as left guard uh, Ron Leary has been out with a back injury, and we're not sure if he's going to be 100% for the playoffs. So, if you take the Cowboys' biggest strength, which is your offensive line, and then you start throwing in a few injuries, it's amazing how quickly you could go from a great offensive line to a mediocre one. And I guess then we'll find out truly if Dak Prescott and Ezekiel Elliott uh, can handle this this the uh, playoff game and the playoff environment with a line that's a little bit banged up right now. I think the Dallas Cowboys continually prove, whether it be Jimmy Johnson or, or Jason Garrett or whatever, that you have to have a good offensive line to be a good team. Like, there are very few quarterbacks that can do what Aaron Rodgers does and run around and extend plays or even at Ben Roethlisberger. And, like, Tom Brady can't. When Tom Brady has a bad line, when you see, he's like, done. the Giants get all over him, he's a he's an above-average still quarterback, but he's not the superstar. Yeah. But when he can stand back there for five, six seconds or four seconds even and throw, he's going to pick you apart. So I don't think Dak Prescott or Ezekiel Elliott can carry a team without a good offensive line. Now, Hopefully these guys will block walks. I'd hate to see the Cowboys just, you know, fall apart after having such a great year right. because of injury. But you got to have a good line, man. And I, yeah. I, that's a lot to ask two rookies if you don't have a good line. Hey, if you think uh, you want to hear a guy talk about having a great line and what a difference it makes in a football game, uh, Coach Jesse Bertelson, who's a good friend of ours on Docs and Jock, here's the head football coach at the Hardin Simmons University, my alma mater, where they've had a run at being a great team for, uh, gosh, man, tw- two decades, really. And he goes out and he does offensive line challenges all throughout the country. And it's the greatest recruiting tool of all time. I mean, he gets to see all these <laughs> wonderful <laughs> high school linemen, these big guys. And he says the game is won or lost in the trenches. Man, it's been true because Harden Simmons typically dominates the line with the big guys they got up front and on the defensive line as well. And so, yeah, I think uh, those are some of the best interviews we've had talking about why offensive linemen, defensive linemen matter and how they change the game every game. It's it, they're they're the first you know if you dominate the line of scrimmage you're going to have a great run game if you can block every play for your quarterback and he can have time to pick apart a defensive backfield it, it's, they can only they can only do that for so long cover a wide receiver so yeah I think you're totally right Ferris I think that offensive line that the Cowboys had is huge and and the Dallas Cowboys have figured that out over the years that you got to be great there first that's why you see a lot of teams now that the same thing happened in baseball Cardinals go out and they start picking. They say, hey, we're going to pick the best arms in the draft early. Right. It worked for the St. Louis Cardinals. We have an unbelievable pitching staff for years and years. Build a club that's always in the playoff hunt and, and, and it, year after year after year. And then you see the, the same thing. You saw Cowboys going out and spending first-round picks on linemen, and they do it year after year. They get a great line, and now suddenly they're, you know, other teams are doing the exact same thing. So, yeah, you see that trend happening now where linemen are going earlier and earlier. Yeah, and if you get the, I mean, if you if you get the right one, that's a great draft pick because a lot of times those linemen, if you, if you do get the good one, 
they'll be with your team for 10 years, yeah, you know, and, right. and they're, they typically are pretty healthy. You, you know, you, they obviously everybody's susceptible to an injury, but that that's a great draft pick um, to me is to go with a lineman. But um, then, I, I think I, Cooper's good. He just didn't work out for us in Arizona because he got hurt so much right. um, and they just kind of mm-hmm. gave up on him. You right. Know? So and then I think here's where the uh, where sometimes I think uh, players can get hurt. I think the Dallas Cowboys, Ezekiel Elliott and Dak Prescott have been hurt in the MVP voting in the MVP race because every time their name is mentioned, it's followed by this phrase. They are good, but only because of a good O-line. And, you know, you hear that over and over again, but is any, I mean, other than maybe Barry Sanders, who didn't have a great line with the uh, Detroit Lions, has any running back really been that great without a great line? I mean, even, I mean, you look at uh, Walter Payton back in the day when, he, when the Bears didn't have a great line, he was good, but he wasn't as good as he was when he got a great offensive line later on when the Bears were winning Super Bowls. So, yeah, I mean, every running back looks better with an offensive line. I think it's somewhat misleading to say you can't win an MVP because your offensive line is the only reason you're that good. Well, if that was the case, then Emmett Smith would have never got, you know, yeah, all the accolades right. he got, you know, and he was fantastic. You right. got it. I mean, it's funny because, yeah, you can have a great line, but you put an Emmett Smith behind mm-hmm. it or Ezekiel Elliott and they run for hundreds of yards. You put, you know, a third string guy behind it and they run for, you know, 80 yards. They're still going to run better than they did before, but they're right. not going to do the things that Elliott does. So, yeah, that's pretty ridiculous. Um, but, yeah, I, I he, that guy's that guy's special, man. I mean, there's some there's some really good running backs out there now uh, in the league, but. It all starts with a line, man. That's what Jimmy Johnson did when he turned it around down yep. there for the Cowboys, and, and that's what they're doing this year. So let's go back to that MVP voting, Ferris. I'm going to get your take on this. So here's the guys that have been mentioned in the MVP race. Uh, Tom Brady, obviously. Uh, da- yeah, exactly. Uh, Dak Cheetah. Prescott. Cheetah. <laughs> Aaron Rodgers. Uh, Matt Ryan with the Atlanta Falcons. And Ezekiel Elliott. So Brady, Ryan, Prescott. There's your quarterback group. And Rodgers. And then you got Elliott in there. So as far as the guys, wow, that's that, hard, man. You know what's what's hard about it is if Tom Brady has the kind of year he has this year, but he plays those four suspended games, I think he wins it hands down. Except Matt Ryan is amazing in his stats as far as what is he something like uh, thirty touchdowns to five interceptions, something something yeah. nutty like that. So, but I believe Brady has twenty touchdowns to two interceptions. So, I mean, Brady's going to suffer from. From we're just tired of him. Like we're <laughs> yeah. just tired of everything being so perfect for that guy. Being so you know? good, yeah. We're just. I mean, every yeah. year he does it. He gets it right. We see his wife all the time on TV. His <laughs> smile gets better every year. He gets. <laughs> he gets prettier as he ages. It's just like enough. I'm just yeah. done with it. You know. Yeah. Um. I really. I honestly. I think. I think Matt. I would probably go Matt Ryan or Aaron Rodgers because I. I really think Aaron Rodgers basically has done this himself this last like seven games. Like I. I mean, I. I it's a team sport, right? I get it, but. Man, he has just really put them on his back and gotten them when they look like they might not even make the playoff. Right. And he just took them all the way to the division championship. And then Matt Ryan's the same way. I mean, what's different from this year and last year? I know he's got great tools out there, but he's just locked in this year. But I don't like the conference he plays in very well. So I, I might I might go Aaron Rodgers. So you don't have Prescott or uh, Elliott in the mix? No, your top their three. Their lines too good. <laughs> yes, that's exactly <laughs> right, man. They're rookies and their lines are too good. I mean, I do like Ezekiel Elliott a lot, uh, even maybe more so than Prescott. Um, I mean, Dak's been great, but I, you know, I think I think Elliott's. What's uh, he throwing? I would give it to Elliott over uh, over that. Didn't Dak end up? Uh, was it four interceptions for the entire year, or something like that? I think yeah, that's four. incredible. That is incredible for a rookie I'd give quarterback. Rookie of the year. Yeah, the, there, hey, the year. there's a conversation. Who are you going? Are you going Dak or Ezekiel I'm Elliott as rookie of the baby. year? 
Coe. Can we do that? Yeah. Co rookie of the year? That's a tough one. I don't know who you pick over those two. I don't even know how you separate them out. They've both been so instrumental and both been so good. I mean, you got one guy who's you know, going to lead the league in rushing and another guy that's uh, come in from, you know, what, whatever round he was picked in, a 300th overall or something. Yeah. Uh, you know, Dak Prescott is now leading the team, the Dallas Cowboys in the playoffs. Two losses. Let me throw let me throw a wild hair, a wild hair in there. Is it absurd to vote for Derek Carr for MVP? Oh, Derek Carr's in there too. I left him out. No, 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 no. He is definitely in there. No, I think he's in there. Yeah, the only reason is uh I mean he got hurt. He got yeah. hurt, but the last so he only missed one game. But no, I think Derek Carr taking the Raiders back. I left him off the list. I should definitely have him on the list. What am I talking about? Yeah, yeah no. I might might have to vote for him on that one then. It's tough for me as a Chiefs guy to vote for a Raider, but I, that that's pretty impressive what he's done. Yeah. Because that's usually a very dysfunctional team. It and they is, were very yeah. functional. Is yeah. that a word? They didn't yeah, look, functional. They didn't look very functional against your Kansas City Chiefs in that game I watched, though. Well, we owned them. You we did own them. Twice. It's, yeah. almost, it's almost like the Cowboys. They look awesome unless they're playing a team called the New York Giants. And <laughs> yeah. The Raiders looked awesome unless they were playing a team called the Kansas City Chiefs for whatever reason this year. Yeah, that's an interesting uh, pick this year. It's gonna be inter- I, I don't think Brady, like you said, because of the uh, suspension, will get – I think they have. he has winner's fatigue in there, too, as well. And then uh, Matt Ryan just had an incredible year. I think he'll be up there. Carr will be there. I think Carr. I think it'll go Ryan, Carr, Rogers, Brady, Prescott, Elliott. That's how it goes. Maybe. A, maybe. Flip. Yeah, you might be right. Um, I mean, Elliott's Elliott's been fantastic, but I mean, I, he's not. I mean, I mean, is he the best running back in the, in the league right now? What's well, him or uh, Dave Johnson or uh, uh, Le'Veon Bell? Le'Veon Bell. Yeah. One of those He'd three. be in the top three, but I think I would take Johnson or Bell in front of him. Is that sacrilegious to say? By the way, what happened to your Chiefs running back, the guy that got injured again? Is he the, the one that was going to have oh, to come back here this year? Oh, Jamal Charles? Jamal Charles, yeah. He got you injured know, again, did he? I think they kept saying he was going to be back next week, and it kept going, kept <laughs> going. He finally played a game, and then he, it, he was feeling pain. I think it was kind of the Derrick Rose thing. I think they said, hey, look, you're healed. You're ready to go, but he just didn't feel it and couldn't. That's he right. just experienced a little pain. And, yeah. He could never do it, and it's amazing. Kind of, it's kind of amazing. The Chiefs won that division, and got the second overall seed without him. Yeah. Um, but they they started Andy Reid. He tried to blow it every week, but they finally were able to outplay Andy, outplay their coach, and get in the playoffs. <laughs> yeah, Ferris is a big fan of Andy Reid. For those of you who haven't been uh, listening to Docs and Jocks for the years, he loves the Chiefs. Uh, not a big Andy Reid fan. It's going to be my worst nightmare if they win the Super Bowl. <laughs> you got to cheer for your team. Because I'll be happy, but then I'll have to admit that Andy Reid's a good coach, and I don't. I, I almost would rather them just lose. <laughs> <laughs> hey, so then uh, the other big quarterback in the news uh, this week that came out, the Buffalo Bills, uh, Tyrod Taylor, quarterback, uh, who's really had, had a good year two years ago, kind of down on the numbers this year. He undergoes a core muscle surgery. It's another uh, way of saying a sports hernia. You've probably heard that phrase. It's a um, where your muscles uh, attach in your lower abdominal area. Your uh, muscles in the front are called a rectus abdominis, and they attach down on the top of your pelvis. And then you have your uh, groin muscles. And Ferris is very acquainted. For those of you who listen to the show over the years, uh, Ferris uh, had a groin injury, and he uh, talks about it a lot as if he's an athlete. So uh, Tyrod Taylor actually started off, Ferris, with a groin injury. And where it comes up and attaches your pelvis is right, to where, right next to where the uh, abdominal muscles attach in that area in your pelvis. And you start off, you feel like you have a groin injury because every time you cut side to side, you have pain. You're, you're very well acquainted with that, Ferris. And then uh, what happens then is you feel a rent or a tear occurs in that uh, tissue over that that kind of holds it all together and eventually becomes so painful you can't run, sprint, cut without having pain in that lower abdominal area. So they go in and repair those core muscles. Sometimes they'll release those adductor groups uh, where they attach in the groin. 
and uh, try and give you some relief that way as well. So he uh, underwent this surgery. Uh, the deal is, get this, Ferris, next year Tyrod Taylor is set to make $27.5 million as base salary. So the Bills are going to have to flip a coin as to whether or not they think he's going to come back from this injury or they need to go ahead and cut him and save themselves $27.5 million under the cap. So what do you wow. think about Tyrod Taylor, man? Yeah, that's, a, that's an injury that makes a big difference. Well, he makes about 27.45 more than I make every year, but we <laughs> yeah. both had the same injury. Um, I elected not to have surgery. I just gutted it out. I kept cutting and running without yeah. surgery. I like him. I think he's a good quarterback, uh, but, I mean, gosh, $27 million, really? I mean, you're not going anywhere next year for the Bills, right? They fire their yeah. GM. They fire their head coach. They're starting from ground zero. I might just cut the guy and be like, let's just let's yeah, just start from scratch. Well, they but deactivated him for the last game, which is probably a shot over the ballot. That's actually what they did. So, uh, yeah, his, his time in Buffalo could be short, but there's a lot of teams looking for quarterbacks. So, Oh, yeah. Yep. He won't, be, he won't be out of work for long. No way. No way. Hey, speaking of uh, football and NFL, we're going to talk uh, that and more as well as the Dallas Cowboys. We're going to have our next guest on, Patrick Creighton, one of the best wide receivers for about a five-year period of time with the Dallas Cowboys. He was a punt returner as well. He'll be coming on talking about how he went from Alba, Oklahoma, in northwest Oklahoma State uh, University all the way to the Dallas Cowboys. We'll be talking about that and more here on your Sports Medicine radio show docs and jocks i'm dr dan with my co-host ferris potter we'll see you back right after this commercial break hey welcome back to docs and jocks your sports medicine radio show coming to you live from inside docs and jocks radio studio hey if you're just joining our show for the very first time want to find out more about our sports medicine radio show you can do that by going to docsandjocks.com or you can listen to our itunes podcast at Docs and Jocks, D-O-X-N-J-O-X. Love to have you be part of our show any way you can. Uh, my name is Dr. Dan, longtime sports medicine physician, joined each week by my co-host Ferris Potter, the voice of Grain Canyon University. And Ferris, we are very honored this week to have on a, a former Dallas Cowboy, San Diego Charger, wide receiver, Patrick Creighton. Patrick, thanks so much for being on the show. Right, thank you guys for having me. Uh, first of all, I, I, I had the uh, honor of listening to you on a, an, a, a wonderful podcast called Team Never Quit. Uh, with Marcus Luttrell and uh, Dave Rutherford. They do a lot of stuff uh, talking about uh, you know, Wounded Warrior and Navy SEALs and all that kind of stuff. You did a wonderful interview there, and, uh, man, I thought it was such a great uh, interview. We'd have you on our show, so I uh, appreciate you coming on. Hey, not a problem, man. Thank you guys for inviting me on to speak. And then we found out, I found out in the show that you're a Texas boy, so our show is uh, we're actually located here in Abilene, Texas, so we love talking football, obviously, out here in West Texas, football rules. So tell our listening audience, we have a pretty wide audience uh, all around the uh, country. Maybe some of our listeners aren't uh, familiar with Texas football. Tell, tell them what it was like growing up in DeSoto and playing Texas football. Uh, I think if anyone's seen the movie uh, Friday Night Lights, uh, any, just about, I think, any real football movie, I think, outside of, remember, the Titans is based off of Texas football. I mean, yeah. I could be, you know, biased in that thing and, a little arrogant with that, but I think every football movie is based off of Texas football, other than maybe The Longest Yard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's based out of prison somewhere, isn't it? The Longest Yard, I can't remember. <laughs> right, yeah. yeah. yeah, we, yeah. We, we won't claim that one. Well, we love uh, Friday Night Lights out here. In fact, we've had Randy Gaines, our coach, on uh, the show before, and that's right out here in our neck of the woods, Abilene, Midland. That's all Friday. That's where it's all shot out here. So, right. yeah, we love yeah. Uh, Texas football. And you had a great career in high school, and then – uh, tell our listening audience uh, who, who aren't familiar with your story. You you finish high school football. We have a great career, and then there's a little lull there. And uh, before you end up going and playing college, tell us that story, that little piece of your history. 
Uh, just like I said, uh, came out of high school. Uh, I originally signed with Texas Tech, so I was going to go out there and be a Red Raider. Uh, yeah. Didn't qualify like I needed to academically. Uh, went to JUCO for a year uh, and basically didn't take care of my, my business out there. Uh, spent a year back here at home working, uh, you know, hated it. Then back home under mom's roof and everything, yeah. so it was it was, a, it was a rough year, rough year. Uh, and that was actually the year uh, I got saved. Yeah, and realized that if I needed to and wanted to uh, do something, I had to get serious about uh, getting back in school. Uh, and I just really just want to go back to school and play ball somewhere. Yeah. So the D coordinator at the time got in contact with my old high school coach, uh, told them they were interested. Uh, Wanted me to come on. Uh, I didn't even take a visit. I asked about it. I talked to my coach, uh, and he was like, the only thing I really know about the school, he said, hey, you get a chance to get back in school, and they got a good football program. I was like, tell me when I need to be there. <laughs> and showed up. Yeah, I showed up uh, fall of 99, uh, and it was, you know, it was a route. It became, uh, I think, one of the best decisions I've ever made in my life. Spent my five years there in Alva, Oklahoma, at Northwestern Oklahoma State. Wow. Uh, and it was it was great. You know, it's amazing, Patrick, and uh, maybe you can comment on this, but sometimes in those low points in our life, like you're talking about, you know, being back home, living on your mom's roof, you'd, you know, uh, had a hard time with school, hadn't uh, put the time in to get good grades, and you're back there. And that's when uh, really one of the greatest things in your life happened. You uh, found a faith in Jesus Christ. It really changed your life and transformed it. So you're in a valley, but, man, one of the, you used that time, and actually something great came out of it. And talk to us about sure. how that sometimes happens. You know, uh, I think a lot of people – uh, run into bumps and roads and hiccups and everything. And, and I think some people get too down themselves and, and not think that there's a way that they can come out of that valley. Uh, and, and you always can. I mean, it, it's all about, you know, having some faith uh, and believing that you're better than what you think you are at that moment. Yeah. Uh, and you can always persevere through it. Absolutely. Ferris? Hey, Patrick, was there anybody that was instrumental in helping you, you know, come to that conclusion um, in, in that year that you were back home with mom? You know what? Uh, my best friend at the time uh, and a young lady I was dating, uh, it was just one of those things to where we just felt like, you know, we had to, to do something because we were both at home at the time. And it was just like, dude, something ain't going right. We're not doing stuff right. What is it going to take? And uh, we got invited uh, to a church, uh, and it was great decision. It was one of those churches to where it was very enthusiastic. Uh, the preacher was probably late 30s at the time, so he was young and, and still could, I guess, relate to certain things. And he had a story himself about, uh, you know, how he was a little knucklehead when he was young, uh, and it was just relatable. <laughs> yeah. And it was one of those things to where, you know, when I was young, Growing up, you know, you used to go to church, and it was because your mom made you, your grandmother made you, you know, you listened to the choir. You didn't never really pay attention to right. the Word. Yeah. And he had a way of he had a, he had a way of connecting with, you know, people in their 20s and 30s and everything and getting them to actually hear it and deliver a message where they could relate to it. Right. So I was able to start actually listening to the Word and start believing it versus just, you know, I felt like, you know, growing up, you know, you got to go to church because they say that's the thing to do. Yeah. And I was, it was able, I, I was able to, you know, to allow the words to kind of enter me versus going in one ear, kind of hanging on to something and the rest kind of forgetting about. Right. And then it started sitting in, and then it was just like, wow, okay, you know what? I, as a reason, I'm on this earth, and I know it's not to work at a credit card company. 
So so it was just like not 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 you know yeah saying anything negative about it, but it was just like I knew I, I meant to do something else right. And, you know, just seeing people uh, that we went to high school, it was like, dude, you're not in school no well, what's, what, you know, you're not playing ball, I can't believe that. And it was just like, God dang, you know, constantly hearing that, and it was like, you know what, I got to figure out what I'm going to do. Somehow I got to get back in school. Right. Uh, and it was just like, you know, God heard my prayers and, and saw, you know, that I was dedicated and focused into doing it. And, you know, he was like, all right, you got another chance. Don't blow it. That's so and awesome. I made sure hey, I did I was I was wondering this as, as a man of faith in the NFL. Did did you find throughout your entire career? Did you find most people were receptive to you being a man of faith? Did most people not want to hear it? Well, what's it like being you know living that life in in, in pro football? Always, you, you gotta realize there 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 are people that are men of faith that actually go about and and try to preach different things to different people. I'm not the preaching type. I will say things to you. And be like, hey, man, pray about it. You know, things like that. I'm not going to go around. I can't go around quoting, you know, verses and scriptures and everything always in the Bible throughout. I'm a very, very spiritual guy. So I will be like, hey, you know, you got options. Your thing is you got to pick one or two options. Then your decisions, you got to live with that. So hopefully you pick the correct side of the line that you decide to toe. Right. And and live with that decision. And, and if you can't live with that decision, go back to the other side and change it. But don't live life with regrets. I mean, you, you kind of control your actions and what you decide to do. Right. You know, no one is ever made to go and do bad things or go and do the wrong things. You know, it, it's all a decision that you choose to make. Amen, Patrick. Man, this is awesome, man. I love it. Hey, uh, let's go back in time just a little bit. We are talking to Patrick Creighton, former Dallas Cowboy, San Diego Charger, NFL wide receiver. And uh, so you're now at Northwest Oklahoma State in Alba, Oklahoma, which is a long ways Alba. from – Alba. I'm sorry. I even said it wrong, man. Oh, I'm so yep. sorry. Alba, Oklahoma. That's a long yep. ways from wearing that star on your helmet playing for the Dallas Cowboys. So <laughs> take us a little bit back in time. So you finished a career, and you had an incredible career, obviously All-American, NAI All-American there at Alba. So take us from there – on how you go from uh, there to getting a chance with the Dallas Cowboys? Uh, my junior year, going into my junior year, after my junior year was up with, uh, talked with my coach a little bit, and I actually, you know, I only had like seven hours left to finish college. Maybe ten, maybe ten. Uh, so it was like, you know, I can always just, you know, be done this spring, come out early. You know, I still had a, another year of eligibility. And my coach was like, well, I'll tell you what. He said, when the scouts come in to work you out, he said, talk to them. Uh, kind of get a feel for what they say. Uh, and I remember a couple of the scouts. I remember Alonzo Highsmith in particular, who was with Green Bay at the time. Uh-huh. He was like, well, let's see how you, when you work out today, let's see how you look in numbers. And it just happened to be one of those days, and I, I take it as a sign from God that it was one of those days. It was about 30 with a drizzle out on grass on a field that had been not kept up because it wasn't during, you know, it was during the cold time. So after the season, it's like, there's, yeah. So it's kind of, it's kind of muddy, mushy, Uh wet grass, uh, and absolutely did not have good times for anything. So I was like, you know what? Let me just come back. And I told my mom that, uh, you know, I said, I don't have a lot of school left. I said, but I always told you when I came to school, I said, I was going to make sure I left her with my degree. 
Oh, that's awesome. I'm going to do that. And she was like, I think you should go back and play your last year. Uh, and you, because you're going to always have time to, you know, work when school's over with. Yeah. So I was like, hey, let me go back. And, you know, it, it, it was a, one of the best decisions I ever made. You know, my coach yeah. called me that summer. I uh, was like, we're going to move you. Quarterback, what do you think about that? And I was like, I said, well, you just, you know, brought in a transfer. He's like, yeah, but not for the type of offense I want to run. I need you there because you can throw, you can run, and it's going to have a chance to showcase your skills to the scouts. Uh, so you'll be able to – I said, well, as long as it doesn't, you're not going to take me off the pump return to kickoff. He said, no, 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 you're still going to do all that. Uh, I said, well, I'm in. I mean, you know, if that makes us have a better chance of winning, yeah, I'm all for it. So, you know, it, it, it panned out. Man, did it <laughs> ever. To the national championship game, yeah. and, and I hate that we lost it, but, you know, it, it was a chance for us to just, you know, create great memories with that class that I had came in, which, which, which was great, you know. Which is it's amazing, uh, Patrick, too. You get you get recruited as a safety. You play wide receiver. Yep. You play quarterback. You're a punt right. returner, and you go into the NFL as a wide receiver and a punt returner. Do you enjoy all that variety? I mean, having that much success at all I those did. different positions? I did. I loved it. I uh, So you remember when Cordell Stewart – uh, when yeah, he was with Pittsburgh, they yeah. called him Slash. Right. Because he was quarterback slash returner. Yeah. Well, the nickname they gave me in uh, college was Comma. <laughs> you say Comet? So it was Comma. Oh, Comma. C-O-M-M-A, <laughs> Comma. <laughs> so it was quarterback slash five returner slash four returner slash kickoff returner slash. Yeah, so it was, you know, Comma. You did comma it all, that, man, yeah. That. And you took them all the way to the like, national okay. championship. That's amazing. Yeah, it was it was a great year, man. It was a great year. One of the things I loved you talked about in the interview I heard earlier with uh, with uh, Team Never Quit. You talked about how, and see if I said this right, but really the stuff that you did off the field to prepare yourself to step on the field may be the most important thing you ever did. I love that work ethic yeah. and the fact that you know we just see you on the field. We saw you playing, you know, next to Terrell Owens and next to Terry Glenn and catching wide receiver, you know, catching passes from Tony Romo. That's all the fun right. stuff, but all the time, all the effort. You know, all the work you did off the field, you actually said made more difference than the stuff you did on the field. I love that quote. Oh, definitely. Definitely. That's, people don't realize that's, I mean, that's, that's, that's what players are made, and that's what games are won. It's not, it's not actually on the field. You know, that's the test. Yeah. You take everything else throughout the week to prepare for that test on Sunday, and, you know, whether you, whether you win or lose depends on how you, you know, pass the test, basically. Yeah. That's, that's, that's your determining factor, but if you prep, Throughout the week and in the off season leading up to the preseason, the preseason leading up to the regular season, that's when you start to gather everything that you need to do to be able to take the test on Sundays, and that's really all that matters on Sunday. That that's how you're judged. But what did you do to get to that? Well, you know, Bill Parcells obviously passed the test with him, one of the greatest coaches ever in the NFL. You're playing along yeah. outside guys like Owens, like Terry Glenn. And uh, Bill Parcells has a quote where he said, Creighton has the best hands on the team. So he's not a guy that I, I don't know Bill Parcells personally, but doesn't seem like he gives out compliments very easily. And uh, that's a great right. guy to have from one of the best NFL coaches of all time. Yeah, it was. And uh, it was funny when it was said uh, because – Terry and Terry Glenn had great hands as well. Yeah, and it was just when you when you talk about being humbled, when you have a guy like Terry Glenn actually say, ah, "I sure hate to say this, but he might be right, kid." <laughs> that's man. Aw- so, wow, that's you awesome. Know, to hear that, that was yeah, it was like hearing it. It was like the little brother hearing it from the big brother. 
you know, the other we thing is, achieved all these things, and now you're like you're hearing it from the big brothers, like, damn, I've yeah. achieved something. Absolutely. I never, <laughs> I never, I never, I never really realized that I made it. Uh, I think until the first time I actually saw like a football card. Oh yeah, of course, man. Every kid wants their picture on a <laughs> baseball card, football card, basketball yeah. card. Absolutely, yeah. Right. It was there, and then maybe maybe Madden. When you make Madden, yeah. Oh man, you know I, I may have achieved something. Except you may not be one of the cover because the cover guys all get injured. But yeah, you want to be on Madden, just off the cover. <laughs> hey, you know your right. career took off too. Here in our last minute here, uh, Patrick, and it's been too short our interview. But man, your career took off when uh, Tony Romo became the quarterback, and you guys just seemed like you had a uh, definitely good chemistry between you guys. Has to be fun seeing him uh, and how his career took off uh, the years after you finished. Oh man, real, 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 real. Yeah, it's it, it's an honor. It was a privilege, you know, to to play with him. You know, for those amount of years, uh, and like I said, like you said, you know, his, his career really, really got to a high. I hate now that you know he his health. He can't stay yeah, healthy I know. to, to I know. really, yeah. you know, flash that brilliance at times. Uh, yeah. You know, you, you hope you wish him the best. You know, wherever yeah. you know he ends up, if for some reason he's not with the star next year, if he's with another team, or whatever, I'm still gonna be rooting for him. Well, Patrick, we wish you the best in all your endeavors, man. I tell you what, I thank you for doing uh, not only our interview here on Docs and Jocks, but the one you did on Team Never Quit. I would, I would really, really uh, emphasize people going and listening to that interview, man. It's inspiring. I want to tell you from uh, me, listening to a guy who overcame a lot of obstacles and then went to a small school, becomes a Dallas Cowboy, wears the star in their helmet, and now has that relationship with Jesus Christ and willing to talk about it. Man, means everything. I appreciate you coming yes, on the show. We'll, we'll have you on again real soon. Thank you so much. Not a problem. Thank you, guys. Man, you guys take care and God bless. All right. Hey, we're right back. More Docs and Jocks after this short commercial break. Hey, welcome back to Docs and Jocks, your sports medicine radio show. My name is Dr. Dan, comes to you live from inside D1 Abilene Radio Studios. Great to have you with us, Dave. Just catch our show for the very first time. Want to find out more about the show? Feel free to do that at docsandjocks.com, D-O-X-N-J-O-X.com. Get caught up on your sports medicine radio, as well as you can download our iTunes app at docsandjocks, D-O-X-N-J-O-X. I'm Dr. Dan, longtime sports medicine physician, joined each week by my co-host, Ferris Potter. Ferris, uh, man, we are very lucky, Ferris, to have on today. Uh, starting right tackle for the Dallas Cowboys, Doug Free, good friend of uh, Docs and Jocks. Thanks for being on the show today, Doug. Thanks for having me. Man, it's always a lot of fun to have uh, any time to have an interview with you, but this is especially fun. Uh, 11-1 sounds good. It has a nice ring to it, doesn't it? Yeah, we've had a good year so far. Just got to keep the pedal to the metal and just keep going. Absolutely. And, you know, everybody talks about the Dallas Cowboys. What's happened? What's the change? What's new? What's, why, are they, why are they doing so well this year? In that conversation, whoever has that conversation, it's always brought up is the stellar, incredible offensive line of the Dallas Cowboys that you've been the anchor of and really the veteran of that offensive line. Talk about the, the group you have currently playing offensive line for the Dallas Cowboys and uh, the cohesiveness of that group. Well, we had, we've got the same group we had two years ago in 14 this year. You know, Lyle uh, got hurt early on, so uh, Ron Leary stepped in and has been playing left guard, done a well, real good job with that. Uh, just, I think the biggest thing we have is we've got a lot of guys with a lot of experience. You know, for being as young as they are, you know, uh, all the other guys on the line are a little bit younger than me. But I mean, have a lot of game experience and high draft picks and just great players. So I think that helps quite a bit. And then, uh, as a group, we spend a lot of time together. The whole offensive line, you know, not even the starters. I mean, everybody spends a lot of time together. So we've got a good relationship as a group, and I think that helps our play. 
And, you know, in your NFL career, it's like life has sped up. You know, you were the young guy, and then now suddenly you're the veteran of that group. Tell us how your role has changed over the years with the Dallas Cowboys, Cowboys uh, now being the veteran of an uh, offensive line that's considered the best in the NFL. Um, roles change to some extent. Um, new guys come in, young guys come in. You know, they look to the older guys, you know, for all different sorts of things, little pointers on things and just how to, how to work, how to do things and stuff like that. So, I mean, I guess I'd, I'm not a very uh, vocal leader, I wouldn't say, but, I mean, the guys come in, they see how I work, and then they work, you know, and, I mean, the biggest thing now is we've got so many guys with a lot of experience and a lot of, you know, maybe not years-wise, but, I mean, veteran players and their playtime. But, I mean, we've got a great group of guys to lean on just with all the experience we have. Absolutely. Ferris? Hey, Doug, take me back to, I think it was in August when, when Romo first got hurt, and you didn't know how good Dak would be. You didn't know anything. Um, what, what was the thought process of the squad when you found out that Tony was going to be out? Well, it was rough, you know. At, the, at that time, I think our backup quarterback, Sean Moore, was hurt as well. You know, we had really no idea what was going to happen or what was going to go down, you know, or how the year was going to go, you know. The main thing I think the entire team took an approach is, you know, there's nothing we can do about it now. Let's just move forward, you know, and we truck along. And whoever they put back there, you know, uh, that came in right away and did a great job, you know. But uh, we just stayed focused on the task at hand next week, you know, the next play, and didn't look didn't look around for answers or question each other. We just did our job. Is is Jason Garrett a, a big part of that that mental attitude, or are you guys all? And you've been in the league so long, you kind of take take it on yourself to keep mentally stable. Because Garrett seems like he's always very even keel, no matter what's happening. Yeah, coach is definitely very even keeled no matter what's happening. And I think um, it has a lot to do with the players that are around. You know, we've got a great group of veteran players, you know, with uh, Jason Witten and stuff like that and some of the guys over on defense that just, uh, I mean, it stay even keel. You know, no matter what happens, we know it's the next play. You know, there, there's nothing you can do about what's happened in the past. All you can worry about is what happens in the future. You know, when we watch uh, the Dallas Cowboys uh, run and we see Ezekiel Elliott doing what he's doing this year, we see him running behind a veteran like yourself and then, uh, Jason Witten. Yeah, tell us, talk to us about uh, his style of running and how it seems to be uh, working with your offensive line and how he's uh, been able to find the holes and uh, rush for what he's doing this year. Oh, he's been doing a great job. I think in the beginning of the year, he, you know, he's kind of new to the system and stuff like that. He wasn't quite as patient. And uh, as the weeks have gone on, he's just gained so much knowledge in the overall scheme of the offense, even with pass protection, uh, blitz pickup, all different kinds of things. You know, He's definitely grown and matured as the year's gone on at an incredible rate. And he's just been a great teammate and a great guy to play with. I mean, just the heart he plays with and the toughness. Absolutely. He's been amazing. Hey, Doug, did, did, he, did he come in that way? I'm always amazed about guys who are, you know, they're the great running backs in college. They get all the pomp and circumstance. They're all these articles. They're a first-round draft pick. And then they come into a team like yours that has so many veterans. Did he come in kind of humble and ready to learn? Was it a learning experience for everybody with him? I think he definitely came in ready to learn. You know, um, he's, he's got a different kind of personality, as you guys probably know or whatever, but he definitely came in with an attitude to learn. He's got a you know, Darren McFadden's still here. You know, Darren taught him a bunch of things. Uh, so, I mean, I think that helped him progress quite a bit. And then, you know, all the running boot backs in general, I mean, they got a pretty tight group as well, and all of them worked together, you know. And I think that's what helped progress him along as fast as he did. And uh, we're talking to Doug Free, the Dallas Cowboys here on Docs and Jocks, your sports medicine radio show. And, uh, you know, you've had Tony Romo in your huddle for so long, uh, Doug, and now you see a rookie quarterback in there. Talk to us about the dynamic in the huddle with a rookie quarterback and if you uh, become accustomed to his style and how he's leading the team right now. Yeah, each quarterback has kind of their own little style to some extent. I mean, we run the same plays as far as I know with either quarterback. You know, it's just a, 
Uh, some of the snap count things are a little bit different and things of that sort. But, I mean, it's the same plays. Um, Dak came in from the beginning uh, knowing his stuff real well. I mean, he's had some learning experiences as Zeke has, you know, both of them being yeah. younger players not having a lot of experience in the NFL. But they've both done a great job, you know, dealing with the adversity and just staying focused. Sure. Hey, Doug, what's, what's your favorite play to run? You don't have to give us the, the, the actual play call, but when you're in the huddle and, and Dak says, hey, we're going to do Z-split, whatever, and you're like, man, this is mine. I get to go blow up a linebacker. I get to blow up a deep. What, what's your favorite play? I don't really necessarily have a favorite play, to tell you all the truth. I, I mean, each week it can be different, you know, depending on the defense we play and stuff like that. Each week it's maybe a different play, you know, but every week we have multiple plays that I really enjoy running, so there's really not one in particular. Man, there's not a play, Doug, where they make you eligible down the field and you become a wide receiver. They don't have that one. I'd love to see it, man. That'd be a lot of fun. Holy cow. Uh, I don't know about that. That'd I'm, be scary. I'm, I'm real good at blocking people. I'm you know, yeah. pretty good at blocking people. Yeah. I'd rather stick with that. <laughs> Let Jason catch the balls next to you, huh? Yeah. 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 Hey, you know, uh, with the New York Giants coming up, it always seems like with the Dallas Cowboys and New York Giants, we just throw the records out the window. But this year, you know, uh, you're number one in the NFC East. They're sitting number two. You have It's a little bit of a revenge game after that first uh, game loss with the, the New York Jets. I mean, I mean, the New York Giants. Tell us what you're looking forward to in this game coming up. Well, it's definitely going to be a good game. The Giants played well this year as well. You know, um, they got it from the first game. You know, they definitely won the game. But, you know, I think as a team, we've matured a lot since then. We uh, had a lot of young guys starting and getting a lot more time, you know, that have progressed over the season. So, I mean, no matter what happens, it's going to be a great game. All the games in the NFC, you know, are great games, you yeah. know, or at least in our division, you know. Right. It's a tough division. Each team, no matter what the record are, it's always tough in division games, pretty much for any division. Sure. Pierce? Hey, Doug, yeah, the Dallas Cowboys are arguably the most popular team in the world. In NFL. I hear Jerry Jones talk, they're the most popular team in the universe, right? But how, how did you deal with that when you first came to the Dallas Cowboys? All of that media scrutiny and everybody talking about every little thing that happened. Um, basically, in the beginning, I didn't really start my first two years. You know, it took a little while to kind of get into a starting role. So I kind of learned some of the things from the older guys and the aspects, you know, and got used to the media scrutiny. And then just once you get past that, you know, uh, as I've gone older, you know, gotten older and played more, it's just something, I mean, it happens. It's, it's, it's the media, you know, it is what it is. And take the good with the bad and just keep rolling one day to the next. And I believe you got your start, Doug, if I, if I remember this right. I believe it was an injury uh, to Mark Colombo is how you got your first start, kind of like Dak Prescott getting a, his start when uh, Romo and uh, Kellen Moore go down. But it, wasn't that how you got your first real role as a starter at tackle? I, th- I thought it was Mark Colombo. I can't remember. Yep, yep, yeah. that's very true. Yeah, so yep. it's always the next man up, and uh, you did it in your career. You know, if you get a chance, man, you came out and you shined and you did well, and so you get that chance. So there's always that. It's like Babe Loffenberg. We we interviewed Babe the other day, and we said, Babe, we know when you're a backup quarterback, you never wish an injury on the guy ahead of you. And he goes, hey, let's just be serious here, be honest for a moment. Yeah, when you're a backup, you always want the guy ahead of you to get injured. I just kind of laughed. We were like, Babe just said that on air, but he did. <laughs> but you do. You sometimes uh, get your chance by the guy ahead of you getting an injury. You don't wish it upon him, but, yeah, you want to get in there. Well, I think everybody in the NFL, I mean, they want to play, you know, yeah. show what they can do, you know. And, but, I mean, the interest part, that's kind of yeah, no, maybe that, a little bit too far. Yeah, that was Babe. Yeah, that was Babe Loffenberg. Yeah. It was a funny one. But, yeah, yeah Ferris, you had a, you had a question? Hey, hey, Doug, we were talking about it, and, and we're just, you know, giving our opinions. But how hard is it for an NFL player to play a game on a Sunday? We just saw the Chiefs and yeah. Raiders do it. And then have to play a game on a Thursday. How does your body feel just four days later? Um, it's it's tough. Um, 
as you, as you get older, it's definitely it gets a little bit harder and harder. Uh, when you're younger, you bounce back quicker, you know, but as you get older, it takes a little bit more time to recover from the games and stuff like that. Uh, the biggest thing we do, you know, I think pretty much every team does, kind of reduce the hitting that week, you know. It's a little bit slower pace in practice, you know. Try to get the bodies to recover as much as you can, get extra treatment in, you know, cold tubs, hot tubs, warm up, just whatever you can do to kind of recover your body that much faster. But, I mean, when you look at it, a lot of times the team, you know, that you're playing is going through the same situation. So, I mean, it is what it is. Do, do most of the guys, and I mean, you can kind of give your opinion what most of the guys think or tell us what you think. Do most of the guys like playing on Thursday night? I mean, you're the only game in town, so everybody's watching you. Or would, or would you rather that go away? I know the NFL's talking about that. I haven't, I really haven't put much thought in it, to tell you the all the truth. I just, my my main motto is, you tell me when to play, I'll be there, you know? Yeah. <laughs> I don't put much thought in whether I <laughs> like fair. the game, don't like the game, you know? It is what it is. I I think it's a night for, you know, two teams to showcase what they can do. You're, you're, you're the only teams on TV that night. So, I mean, it's kind of a nice opportunity, but, I mean, it's also kind of a difficult thing for teams. You know, it's a short week. And Ferris, also, you know, the Dallas Cowboys are more used to this than most teams because they've played on Thursday night on things or Thursday on Thanksgiving every year of probably Doug's career, right? You've always had a Thursday Thanksgiving game. Is that is that right? Yep, yep. Yeah, so done he, that every year. Yeah, so they've done it every year. So some of these teams have not done the Thursday like like Doug has his entire career since 2007. So a little a little bit different. Hey, uh, we got uh, some. Uh, you know, your next uh, few games are going to be on Sunday nights and Monday night. Do you like that schedule better when you're doing some Monday night games and some Sundays? Is that a, is it easier to get your when you know you got those seven days to get ready? Is it easier to get your body ready? Uh, it really doesn't matter. You know, yeah. Sunday midday, Sunday night, Monday. You know, it's all basically we tweak our schedule so it's always you know kind of the same. Right. But, I mean, it really doesn't matter what day the game is on. Uh, having that extra time to maybe an extra day to get healed up is kind of nice at times. But I mean, overall, it doesn't matter too much. Yeah. Ferris? I mean, obviously, Doug, you guys are having a fantastic season, and you're the front runner in the NFC, but there's still games to play, and that that adage on any given Sunday, any team can beat anybody. Do you guys start allowing yourselves to think about postseason, or do you really have to lock in and say, no, we just got a game to play next Sunday, and that's what we got to focus on? Yeah, you know, I think the whole team is taking that mentality. You know, each week is the, you know, it's the most important week. You know, it, it's no looking too far ahead. You know, uh, a lot of things can change, and the, the biggest thing is keeping the momentum rolling. You know, if you're on a winning streak, keep the winning going, you know. So I think we're focused here, you know, next week is next week. You know, and the next game's the most important one. Stay focused on that and let, let the chips fall where they may. It, and we're talking to Doug Free, the Dallas Cowboys here on Docs and Jocks. And, Doug, we were interviewing uh, your team nutritionist uh, probably a few weeks ago, and he was talking about how one of the things they use for recovery is uh, cherry juice. Have you actually uh, tried Have you actually done the cherry juice thing, and, thing and does it work? Um, yeah, I've actually done the cherry juice thing. Um, whether it necessarily works or not, I'm not 100% sure. It tastes sure. good. Um, I, <laughs> yeah. yeah, it tastes good. And if it, it gives you any sort of slight edge, you know, and it's yeah. legal, why not? Yeah, heck yeah. Yeah, he told us that. So I've actually had my son who plays uh, high school football, so we've been doing the cherry juice thing after. I said, the Dallas Cowboys do it. Let's let's hop on the bandwagon here. So anyway, but it is interesting. How do you keep your weight from fluctuating from the season to the off season? I mean, you guys got to play at a massive weight. You're huge individuals. How do you maintain your weight through the season and then the off season and come back in and play in weight the next year? Has that been difficult throughout your career? Are you finding it more difficult as you get a little bit older now, or how, how do you do that? It definitely gets more challenging as you get older. I know when I was younger, I think I'm, I'm pretty sure you guys know you burn a lot more calories. Yeah, you know, no matter course, what you yeah. do, your metabolism is higher. And then as they get older, you kind of slow down and you're eating a little bit. I have a pretty good uh, 
idea of what I need to eat to keep to a certain weight, you know, and then uh-huh. um, in the off season, we do a lot of running and stuff like that. So that helps quite a bit, you know, but for me, I pretty stay pretty stable, you know, the entire year on what weight I am. I don't yeah. fluctuate, you know, some guys will put on 20, 30 pounds in the off season and lose it for the season, you know, stuff yeah. like that. But I, I don't have that issue. Right. Ferris. Hey, I was going to ask you one other thing, uh, Doug. I was I was really bummed. I'm I'm not not as uh, you know I'm, I'm not in Texas. I'm not as into the Dallas Cowboys as everybody else listening. But I was really bummed that Jason Witten's consecutive game streak, oh, with one exception, yeah. was ended. But I got to imagine he probably didn't even mention it. How, how did he and how did the team respond to that? Or did, were you guys even aware of it? I wasn't real aware of it to tell you the truth. I know the media brought it up after the game and stuff like that. Um, it's tough you know um he's been a great player here you know he's always caught balls you know and just last week it just didn't happen i mean for Witten, i mean he looks way past that stuff i mean he'd like to catch balls he likes touchdowns you know he likes to snap but i think right. he's focused on the you know, the bigger prize you know whatever it takes for our team to win is what he's focused on as well as everybody else well doug our time here on the docks and jocks is always too short with you but i want to say thank you for coming on i tell you what as a dallas cowboy fan this team has been uh, one of the m- most uh, enjoyable teams to watch all year to this point. I mean, it just seems like the whole team as a collective group, you guys seem to be very cohesive and uh, have a common goal as, as, like no other year, maybe since uh, the mid-early 90s or so. But, man, I want to say thank you as a Cowboy fan. It's just been a, been a pleasure watching you guys. All right, thank you guys very much. Thanks for having me on. All right. Hey, we'll be right back with more Docs and Jocks, your sports medicine radio show after this short commercial break. Hey, welcome back to Docs and Jocks, your sports medicine radio show. My name is Dr. Dan, coming to live from inside D1 Abilene Radio Studios. Hey, thanks for listening to our show. If you ever want to catch the entire show, go to docsandjocks.com, D-O-X-N-J-O-X.com. We are very honored to have on special guests, and uh, this week is no different, Ferris. We have on five-time Super Bowl champ, former, and current uh, NFL Hall of Famer, Cowboys Ring of Honor inductee, James Madison University alumnus, a 100-sack club uh, defensive end linebacker in the NFL with the Dallas Cowboys and San Francisco 49ers, Charles Haley. Charles, thanks for being on Docs and Jocks. Hey, Doc, thank you. And Ferris, uh, y'all having a good day, I hope. Absolutely. Hey, we heard uh, that we actually don't – you would uh, rather be called a Zulu warrior as opposed to uh, Charles Haley. Is that true? Hey, I don't die, I multiply. There you go. All right, man. So that's awesome. And, uh, Charles, uh, congratulations. First of all, we want to send out our – we were all rooting for you with the uh, NFL Hall of Fame, and uh, I think it was belated in 2015 you were inducted into the NFL Hall of Fame, one of the greatest uh, defensive end linebackers to ever play the game, have five Super Bowl rings to prove that. And uh, for all of us here at Docs and Jocks, congratulations. What was that experience like? Well, you know what? It was it was a great experience. The best of it was that I got and with a lot of the um, defensive linemen that I played with that helped me impact the game. And, you know, it's, it's always good to just be around family. And uh, my teammates were family for me. Absolutely. You know, it had to be gratifying for you now hearing all the accolades, the NFL Hall of Fame, you're in the San Francisco 49ers Hall of Fame, you're in the Cowboys Ring of Honor, College Football Hall of Fame. You're a guy that came out of James Madison University where really, if you read your bio, you didn't have a lot of offers coming out of high school. To be a guy that, you know, you don't get looked over uh, coming out of high school, going into college, and now to be have all these accolades, it has to be very satisfying and very rewarding. Well, you know what? Um, I try to tell young men and young women a secret to life is I didn't want to do 
um, that farming work, that, that hard stuff. Yeah. And, and God gave me an opportunity to go to college. And when he did, I was like a pit bull. I bet it. And I, when I got there, I said, what do I need to stay here? What do I need to do to graduate? And then, you know, hey, they gave me the tools I need. You know, I was a, I was a knife that needs sharpening. And, um, and, um, and they did that. And I, I just, all I want to do is graduate college. And when, when that time came, um, the NFL knocked on the door. And then I said, okay, all I want to do is take care of my mama. And um, from then on, after that, it was just about, you know, I got around a bunch of guys like Ron and Keeney, Keena, um, Joe Montana, and all these guys, man. And Coach Walsh, oh, my God. Um, they, they showed me how to win and how to win with class. Hey, we're talking to Ch- Charles Haley, NFL Hall of Famer, here on Docs and Jocks. And, Charles, if someone wants to find out more about your story, because it is very inspiring what you've been through, there is a book that you've recently written that c- talks about your career, and it is coming out in October. Tell our fans how they can, your fans how they can get that book and what it's about. It's called Fear No Evil, and um, it comes out um, the second week in October. Um, you know, it, it talks about um, a lot of things that I went through. It's not... It's not one of those um, football books. It's, it talks about bipolar. It talks about um, a lot of challenges I had because I, I chose not to deal with that side of it and how it may impact my life and may made my life a little harder. And um, and the, the biggest part of it is is that I learned one thing that I didn't I didn't have to go through this alone. And um, right. and once I figured that out, then my life changed. Wow. Hey, hey, Charles, you mentioned it a little bit, but what was it like for you making that transition to, to the NFL and stepping into that locker room with those greats like Bill Walsh and Joe Montana and Ronnie Lott and all those guys? Well, you know what? I, you know, people always look at me crazy, but um, I had no idea who those guys were. I, um, <laughs> I All I knew was is, is that I walk in the locker room and um, Joe Montana's playing with me. Um, you know, you know, Ronnie's talking to me, pushing me, challenging me. You know, all those guys, <clears throat> Jerry Rice. You know, um, I never figured out. I still don't know what they saw in me that made them try to make me feel like I'm at home. Because, you know, I'm a hard guy, and I never trust people. And um, so I didn't make friends easy. But that, they were the first ones that made me feel like um, I could unball my fist and. Um, and then when Coach Walsh, man, um, it's, it's just the way he handled himself. It was power perceived and, you know, power achieved. And um, he's one of those guys, that, you know, he, he talked to me about three or four times in my uh, football career. And, you know, he kept it short and simple. So, you know what, and I loved that. And then, you know, after I got through playing, you know, he followed me my whole career, my whole life, and asked me, uh, what can he do to help me? You know, um, he helped me get jobs. You know, I, I, you know, I can't say enough about it. You know, and your career is an amazing career, and the fact that uh, you know almost every team you were on ends up making the playoffs. Usually, won over ten games a year. Whatever team you were on, from the 49ers to the Cowboys, and in through that, uh, you had to overcome uh, bipolar disorder as well as you had uh, some back injuries and ended up uh, undergoing back surgery. Kind of talk us through how you overcame those injuries and were able to uh, continue playing at a high level. Well, hey, when you talk about bipolar, I didn't overcome it. Teammate to overcome it. That's My right. teammates had to overcome it. It, it, <laughs> yeah. it wasn't yeah. me. That's they right. had to. They had to look at. They had to look at what I am, who I am, and make a judgment call. Because you know it ain't gonna change. 
Yeah. It's the same thing every day. And, um, you know, either you like me or you don't. And, um, you know, my, my only goal in life was because uh, my only dream was to be the best. And um, I didn't put up with anybody else that didn't want to be the best. So I pushed a lot of people. But it's, it's been amazing. It's been amazing. I get a chance now to go back and hug guys' neck that I love. But I never told them that I loved them. Wow. And, you know, and, and, um, and you know, it's, 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 this, this is the best feeling in the world. And then now in, in the league, I go into the league, different teams, different players, and we talk about bipolar. We talk about, um, you know, because I, t- I tell the commission all the time, hey, it's, it ain't about a drug addiction. It's about um, them dealing with some kind of mental illness. And then when they stop peeling that onion, they run back to what they normally used to, you know. Wow. It's about getting them help. It's not about punishment. It should be about getting these guys help. And uh, when when the league does that, you know, and they changing that program, which which it is. And um and um, the other thing is, coaches got to open up the locker room for guys that been through things that can go in and talk to these young men and tell them they don't have to go through it alone. Wow, what a great lesson. Hey, we're talking to Charles Haley here on Docs and Jocks, uh, NFL Hall of Famer. Ferris? Hey, Charles, one of 31 uh, guys in NFL to have 100 sacks in uh, your career. Who was your favorite quarterback to sack? Who's the guy you, every time you played him, you're like, man, I got to get that guy. <laughs> well, the guy, I, I, it ain't the guy that I wanted to sack. It ain't the guy that I sacked. It's the guy that I wanted to sack. Dan <laughs> uh, um, Marino. Dan Marino, I played against him. Hey, I got to I, you know, I could I could be breathing on the back of his neck, and I'll see his head turn sideways, ball gone. He had the quickest release I ever seen in my life. And every time I see him, I go up and I go up and try to tackle his ass. Cause you know what? I figure now he's old, so I can get him now. That's awesome. Well, Charles, you know uh, the other thing that's uh, neat about you, where you're at in your life right now, you've uh, not only been a great athlete yourself, but you've been part of that into your uh, kids, and you have a daughter that's getting ready to go to Stanford University and is going to be playing soccer there. I believe you had a son that was also a football player collegiately, so it has to be rewarding for you to see your kids going on and getting their degree and going on and be successful uh, on, not only on the athletic field but also in the academic world. Well, you know, I, I'm not going to take any credit for any of it because all I did was set an example. You know, they have to have the drive, the love to, to compete and be the best. I, I just set an example for a man. And, um, and, you know, my ex-wife, my ex-wife, you know, she's a great role model. And, um, and you know, we were a team. You know, even after the divorce, we were still a team in raising our kids. And, um, and that's what's important. I, every day, every day of my life, I, I, I send them a text or call them and tell them I love them. Wow. You know, I send um, some inspiration to my friends, and I, I just want them to know that guess what, dad, dad, done dropped that wall down. Dad loves you, and and um, I'm gonna take every moment I can to let let the people around me know how much I love them. Hey Charles, you you got traded to uh, the Cowboys. I want to go back to that for a second. So you're, you're with uh, well, you're with Bill Walsh, and then you go to Jimmy Johnson. I would assume. Very different guys, but what was your what was your experience switching from Bill Walsh to uh, a team that Jimmy Johnson was running? Well, they were totally it's the opposite side of a coin. Uh, Coach Walsh was one of those guys that was um, um, more more um, motivating through um, having other people. Jimmy was one of those guys that was authoritarian, put his foot on back a guy's neck. But 
I'm not mad at him because you know what? He took the youngest team back to back, and you know, and um, you know, people, you know, me and Jimmy might have had run-ins or whatever. I respect him. He is a warrior. You know, he don't he don't back up or back down, and I love that about him. Hey, and and uh, we're talking to Charles Haley here on Docs and Jocks. And Charles, uh, you you uh, through your career, obviously uh, can't play in the NFL without having some injuries. We are a sports medicine uh, show here, so you dealt with a lot of different uh, sports medicine staffs as well, athletic trainers, team physicians, and uh, had to deal with them with some different back injuries and stuff. You had, you obviously worked with some of the greatest in the world. Uh, talk to, to us about your t- your sports medicine staff you worked with. Well, you know what I had I had. Um... I had the best training staff that anybody could have, and, and the team doctors were um, amazing. And, and the best thing about it is they give you opportunity to get second opinions to be able to go to the best doctors in, in, in the country uh, to have surgery. Um, you know, I had back surgery, knee surgery, whatever. Um, that love of the game kept me in the game. Yeah. You know, and when I lined up, I, you know, I made a decision, and I tell – I tell people this all the time is if you make a decision to walk out on the field, you're not hurt, you know, and, and, uh, it, there's no excuses in life. You know, there's, there's no such thing as problem. There's only solution. And, you know, you need to find a solution to the problem. And, and that is that, you know, you gotta, you gotta love the damn game. You gotta really truly love the game and be willing to sacrifice for one another. And I was lucky enough to be around a bunch of guys, that knew how to sacrifice and knew how to win. Exactly. Hey, got to ask you, Charles. Did you ever sack Joe Montana? No. <laughs> I would, hey, if I'd have played against him, I wouldn't have sacked him. I probably went up and gave him a kiss. And tell, him, <laughs> tell him, fall his ass down. I'll kiss him and say, "You better fall down right now." It's a gentle, oh, wow. very gentle sack. <laughs> hey, Charles. Uh, obviously, have uh, Super Bowl rings with the Dallas Cowboys as well. A lot of times, those teams, for whatever reason, in retrospect. Uh, they'll talk about the great offense with Troy Aikman and Michael Irvin and Emmitt Smith, but without the great defense that you brought with you when you came over from San Francisco, it may have been a whole different uh, outcome than it ended up being. But you had a great defensive team those years as well that people oftentimes overlook. Oh, yeah, they do overlook that. And, um, and, and you know, you need to know I'm just an individual. Without the other ten guys, we don't win. I've never, I've never seen as much talent as Jimmy. Jimmy and Jerry Jones had amassed. Um, at the Cowboys, man, I mean, they were young, fast, you know, all they needed was direction. They needed somebody to just come in and, you know, hit them in the balls and say, look, this is how we're doing it. And um, there's no answers, uh, buts about it. And, um, and you know, that's what we did. We focused and set in and, um, and did our jobs and did it at a high level. Absolutely. Yeah, and you played with a great defense up there in San Francisco as well. Who, take yourself out of it, who was the toughest uh, guy that you ever played with on a defensive side of the ball? Um, it it got to be Ronnie Lott, man. They, you know, I, I my neck, my neck, and you know, hurts all the time because he came from twenty yards down, feeling slapped me upside the heel head, <laughs> and gave me a pinch of nerve. Hey, and I had to wear a neck collar the rest of my life. Now, now I'm gonna have to go get neck surgery. You know, I tell them all the time. I tell them all the time. I don't know if the statue limits is, is up or not, but you know, what he did to me ain't normal. You know, <laughs> we're talking to Charles Haley, a great uh, NFL uh, Hall of Famer, defensive end, linebacker in the NFL. Hey, Charles, uh, 
you know, looking forward after after football, obviously a big transition in life. Where we've talked to, interviewed uh, Darren Woodson here. He's he's talked about it as well. But after football, kind of tell our listening audience where you are now and what you're doing with your life and uh, post football years. What's Charlie Haley, Charles Haley up to? Well, I, I do. I, I go down to inner city and uh, bring educational tools down to um, um, pre pre kindergarten up to sixth grade kids, and um, and and um, then I go mentor um, young men in the NFL that may be having um, uh, some type of mental illness. And then, you know, I, I everything else everything else works its way out. I, I do public speaking, you know, autographs. What, hey, whatever they need me to do, I'm there for it. I, I believe that, you know, if I believe I can achieve. And, um, and I, I love doing new things, new challenges. I, I believe that I can do anything. So I set my mind to it and uh, and prepare myself for it. So um, I, I'd rather do more things to help others than, than to help myself. Hey, Charles, I just want to tell you from all of us here on Docs and Jocks, you've been one of the most uh, inspirational guests we've ever had on the show, and I want to highly recommend and I can't wait to go to get it myself, uh, your new book that's coming out, Fear No Evil. It comes out in October. From all of us here at Docs and Jocks, we want to say thank you for those great uh, cowboy years. Obviously, we're in Texas, but also uh, enjoyed your entire career, both in San Francisco <laughs> and Dallas. But uh, we wish you all the best, man. Yeah, and, and um, let's keep our prayers for Jimmy Johnson and Barry Jones to go in the Hall of Fame. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, Great they point. They deserve it. Um, um, Jimmy deserves it, and then Jerry deserves it. So absolutely. let's keep our fingers crossed. All right, and once again, congratulations on you uh, entering the NFL Hall of Fame last year. We'll uh, have to have you on again real soon sometimes. Thanks so much, Charles Haley, for being on Docs and Jocks. All right, bye. All right. Hey, we'll be right back with more Docs and Jocks after a short commercial break. Hey, welcome, Docs and Jocks, your sports medicine radio show. My name is Dr. Dan, comes to you live from inside Docs and Jocks radio studio, your sports medicine radio show. If you want to find out more about our show, you're welcome to go to docsandjocks.com, D-O-X-N-J-O-X.com. Or maybe you missed a previous show or uh, interview, you can go to uh, Docs and Jocks on your iTunes app and just listen to uh, download our podcast, Docs and Jocks, there. Uh, my name is Dr. Dan, longtime sports medicine physician, joined each week by my co-host Ferris Potter, the voice of Grand Canyon University. Uh, Ferris, we are very honored to have online Chris Burke. Chris is a former Major League Baseball player, played for the Houston Astros, Arizona Diamondbacks. He uh, played college baseball at University of Tennessee, where he was a All-American and a SEC Player of the Year. He's now a broadcaster for ESPN's College Baseball and Little League Baseball. Chris, thanks for being on uh, Docs and Jocks. My pleasure, guys. Thanks for having me. Hey, first of all, uh, you're from uh, Louisville, Kentucky, and uh, you uh, decided to go to University of Tennessee, a powerhouse baseball program there in the SEC. Uh, tell us what it was like growing up in uh, Louisville and then heading over to uh, University of Tennessee and having a storied baseball career there. Well, uh, you know, I was fortunate. I was raised by a coach. Um, oh, there you go. And had a real good, yeah, real good uh, mix in the family for uh, um, the upbringing to kind of reach my potential at least for that stage of my life uh, i had an older brother and an older sister but my older brother was you know into sports into baseball into basketball into football so i was always trying to keep up with his buddies and that really <laughs> yeah. helped and i had a dad who could who could coach and and really understood how to motivate and instruct and so uh fortunate to to uh grow up in the, in the home that i did and uh, went to a very competitive high school where I had a lot of really talented teammates, and we had some really good teams. Never won the state championship, but uh, we're always in the mix. 
and uh, from there went on to the University of Tennessee um, and, you know, culminated those three years with a trip to the College World Series in 2001. So had a blast there um, and then was fortunate to, to get drafted by the Astros. Yeah. Seven years in that organization and, and uh, got, got to play in the Major League World Series with them. So yeah. uh, fun ride and was fortunate to do some – some neat things in the game, and and now I get to see it through through a different lens in the broadcasting booth. Awesome, Ferris, you have a question for Chris? Yeah, Chris, when you were recruited by Tennessee, what was the reasoning you went to Tennessee, and who were some of the other schools that were looking at you at that time? Well, you know when I was when I was coming up, uh, the recruiting world was much different than it is today. <laughs> yeah, and um, part of that difference was. Uh, it was much more regional. And, and not that college baseball isn't still fairly regional, but you don't have the perfect game showcases. You didn't have the, the PBR showcases. And so there wasn't as much national attention uh, to players. So for the most part, you were going to end up you know, somewhere in your region, for the most part. There's certainly some exceptions to that, but for the most part. And so for me, it was a, you know, it was a short list of, of uh, the, the best schools in the area, Kentucky, uh, Indiana, Tennessee, Notre Dame was kind of my short list. Louisville had almost dropped their program just a few years before I was coming through the, the pipeline. So Louisville really wasn't an option, even though they, they recovered fairly quickly to be competitive. Um, Louisville was, was nowhere near what we see from Louisville today, which is a top five program. So, Really, the short answer is Tennessee was the best program closest to home, and right. that was right after the Todd Helton era. So they had been to the College World Series, and they had been uh, they had won the SEC uh, a couple times in in the mid nineties. And so for me, it was just the, the best program, um, and only about three and a half hours from home. You know, the one of the things you're known for is you're a very versatile player. You played pretty much every position other than pitcher and catcher. And uh, I always tell my son this, and I bet your dad, who was a coach, probably told you this, the same thing, that uh, the best position on the field is the one the coach puts you at. Obviously, you lived <laughs> that. You played every position but pitcher and catcher. So did you like the versatility, uh, playing a lot of different positions? Well, to be quite honest, I wish I'd have played one position my whole career for about 20 straight years yeah, uh, if I had it my way. <laughs> uh, but, um, you know, I was fortunate to have been an athlete and played all the sports growing up and uh, played a lot of pickup baseball. And, you know, it's funny you say that because even though my dad was a coach, I played nothing but shortstop, really, until I showed up to the University of Tennessee. Oh, really? Wow. Uh, where, I, where I start to play second, some second base. Yeah. But um, the, the ability to be athletic and to be put in adverse situations in different sports, I think, really helped me to have the mindset and the skill set to when I got to the big league, really the first time I got at Team USA yeah. um, in 2000 was the first time I got asked to play the outfield. And, of course, I was sure I can play the outfield. I remember, I'll never forget they called <laughs> me and told me I made the team, but only if I agreed to play the outfield some. You know, I was going to play second base, but then on my off days they were, they were going to need me to play the outfield. I said, yeah, I can play the outfield. No problem. How hard can it be? You know, I never <laughs> yeah. played it before. Wow. Uh, and then, so then I got to the big leagues, and they said, look uh, – you got a chance to make this club, but if, if you're going to, we got this guy named Craig Biggio who's going to play second base. So if you're <laughs> yeah. going to make this club, yeah. uh, it's going to have to be 
it's going to have to be uh, as a utility player. What do you think? Well, yeah, I can play wherever. Play wherever you need me. So that's kind of how the whole utility thing unfolded for me. Wow. You know, uh, you're, you're very humble. You kind of mentioned your uh, University of Tennessee career and getting drafted. But University of Tennessee, your junior year, you hit 435, 20 home runs, 49 stolen bases, first-team All-American shortstop, unanimous SEC player of the year. That was quite a year and to be capped off with a College World Series run. Had to be uh, one of the best baseball years of your life. It was. It was. Um, you know, uh, I, I've often, I've often uh, thought it'd be fun to go back for a couple weeks that season. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Things yeah. were pretty good that year. Absolutely. Um, there was a lot of, of uh, really neat memories, and, and the, the guys that I played with on that team, uh, I'm still pretty close with most of them. And, uh, just a special year, and, and certainly I played well. And uh, that that College World Series run is uh, about as fun as it gets for for an amateur athlete, and and certainly one I feel blessed to have been able to to, to say I went went on that journey. Hey, we're talking to Chris Burke here on Docs and Jocks, your sports medicine radio show. Chris was a uh, former Major League Baseball player with Houston Astros and Arizona Diamondbacks. Fair, you have a question for Chris? Yeah, Chris, what is that transition like when you go from playing at, you know, a power a powerhouse college program and then you get drafted, you got to be super excited to, you know, be moving on to the MLB, but you start in the minors. What is that transition like just on a day-to-day and mental basis more so than even a physical basis? Um, you know, I think it's certainly a transition for me at that period of time with with the way amateur baseball was. We weren't using the silly bats, the crazy juiced bats that they were using in the in the in the nineties. Yeah. But we were still using good bats, what I what I refer to as the good bat era. And so really the biggest adjustment for me uh was was hitting with a, a wooden bat every day. And um, you know, I did have such a big year my junior year at Tennessee and I'm not the biggest guy, but I put up some really, really big power numbers that year, not just in homers, but doubles and triples. Yeah, 20 home runs. And moving to the, yeah, moving to the wood bat, uh, I hit a lot of balls that broke my heart my first couple <laughs> years of pro ball. Oh, yeah. uh, I hit a lot of balls that I thought were hit pretty well that ran out of steam, you know, before or at the track. And so I had to get stronger. I had to start to uh, get better with my contact point. And eventually, by the time I got to triple A, I I'd started to hit the ball at the ballpark again. Um, but it was certainly transition. For me, the grind of playing every day, to be honest, not to pat myself on the back, but that's all I ever wanted to do. And my why was so clear, and my, my uh, determination to fulfill my dreams was so strong that the, the grind of the minor league schedule, while I certainly felt it from time to time, isn't nearly as exhausting when you're – when you're that motivated, as it sounds, as a you know late thirties yeah. adult, you look back yeah. and go, "How the heck did I play that many games?" You know, but wow. when I was in the, you know how it is when yeah. you're young and you're hungry. Uh, there's not much that'll stop you. Well, Chris Ferris so. and I are a lot older than you, so we may not remember that as well as you do. So we're, <laughs> we're a lot older. Hey, but you were the Astros' number one overall pick and tenth overall selection in the 2001 draft. Both big honors. What was it like getting that phone call and hearing that? Hey, you're the uh, number ten overall pick, and you're going to be a Houston Astro. <laughs> Yeah, it was it was a surprise. Uh, I have a, I had an agent uh, who I still work with on my TV stuff, Barry Meister, who's been at it a long, long time and is intimately uh, attached to the the inner workings of of what goes on with the draft. And you know, not a lot get by gets by him. And 
he was sure that, you know, I was probably 15 was probably as high as I was going to go. Um, and so when I got picked, you know, of course, back in the day, we were listening to it. Yeah. No lie. Of course, now they got an MLB network. I know, you're there. You know, the guys yeah. are in New York. Right. It's a big deal. Well, we were listening to it up on DSL dial-up, <laughs> all huddled around the laptop. <laughs> it was hilarious. Yeah. Um, and so, and they were they used to pick once every two minutes, I think, or maybe even one minute. It was just like it went by so fast. And they were like number ten, Houston Astros, shortstop Chris Burke at University of Tennessee. And it, we all looked at each other. I kid you not, we all just looked at each other like, did they just say me? You know, <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, it was just crazy because yeah. at that, you know, when you know you're going to be a high pick, and you had the year I had, and I'd been on TUSA, and yeah, I had an advisor that was reputable there wasn't a whole lot of secrets i'd been talking to all the teams that were interested i even had a deal already in place with a team that i knew was going to draft me if, if i fell to them and the astros were nowhere near my radar really? as far as teams that had interest so wow. it was it was a, huh. a pleasant surprise snuck up on you there did you did you ever find yeah they out definitely later did why they jumped into the mix on you and why they hadn't contacted you earlier did you ever wonder why the? Uh, I, I could, yeah. I could, I could uh, hypothesize on that, but I might get myself in trouble, so uh, I won't. <laughs> but, but uh, they, uh, I, I, the short answer is no. I don't, I don't know if, if their mo is way more under the radar than most or what. But no, I, I don't know why that was. Wow. And then uh, you finally uh, come up with the big into the big leagues with uh, the Houston Astros, and you have your first hit against my beloved St. Louis Cardinals. I'm a huge St. Louis Cardinals fan, Chris. So to have your first hit against the St. Louis Cardinals uh, for me, that would be a dream come true. A lot of St. Louis Cardinal fans there in Louisville, Kentucky, where you're from, because uh, the KMOX used to reach there, and that was the closest uh, team to them there for a while. So, uh, what was it like uh, playing against uh, the Cardinals, getting your first hit there? Well, I appreciate you asking me that question. Not many people do. Uh, so uh, one of the dearest people to me in my life was my, my mom's dad, my Paul, and he lived in Tell City, Indiana. Him and my Gaga lived in Tell City, Indiana. Uh-huh. And my Paul's health was failing at the time. And the, the only major league game he saw me play in person was that game. Oh, that's awesome. And I, I was 0 for 10 at the time. I'd gotten one start, maybe two starts and a bunch of pinch hits, and I was 0 for 10, and I was carrying that gorilla on my back. And uh, I wasn't in the lineup. You know, we were trying to get to the playoffs, uh, trying to win the wild card. And we're playing the Cardinals, who obviously, are, you know, they made it to the World Series that year, first-class team. And Roger Clemens is pitching. So for somebody <laughs> in my shoes, you're like, well, I'm, you know, I'm probably just spitting sunflower seeds today, you know. And uh turned out – uh, Roger threw six scoreless, and I think the score was like seven to nothing through six. And we're about to lead off the seventh, and I was just kind of standing up, trying to stay loose. You know, I think I had a bat in my hand. and I hear Phil Garner, our manager, go down. Rocket used to always have this little took up. For, so he's got this chair down in the tunnel. And if you wanted to talk to Rocket, you had to go down and see him in the tunnel, you know. So Phil goes down there with a pitching coach, and obviously it's September. Rocket's like 100 years old, however old he was at the time. And they're asking Rocket how he feels, and he's like, I feel fine. You know, I feel great. And they're like, well, we, we kind of want to get you out of there. You know, you've thrown about 95 pitches. Let's get you out of there. We're up seven runs. He's like, Skip, whatever you want to do. I, I can go back out. I can, I can call it a night, whatever you want to do. 
So, you know, meanwhile, the, the other pitchers on the mound, yeah. you know, getting hot, right? And, and at this point, nobody on the bench thinks we're pinch hitting because Rocket's just rolling, you know? Right. In, anyway, <clears throat> Phil goes, we're going to pull you. So our bench coach goes, well, who do you want to hit? And Phil, who, who managed like this quite often, was just like, uh, Burke. <laughs> you know, just kind of. Yeah. And I was fortunately within earshot of it. So I, I grab my bag, got my helmet, you know, yeah. 24 years old, adrenaline sure. hits me. I get out on on-deck circle. I come up out of the you know, steps, and I look out on the mound, and they're, they're, they got Dan Heron in, who yeah, throws hard. I had hit my first triple-A home run off <laughs> Dan Heron. <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. So at least I knew who it was. You know, I had it and yeah. bat off of him. And on a 2-2 count, he threw me a split finger, and I chopped it in the ground between short and third. And uh, probably ran the fastest time I've ever ran to first base. Beat it out by a half a step. The guy called me safe. I almost kissed him on the lips. <laughs> and uh, my first hit was certainly not a thing of beauty, but my pawpaw was yes, there to see it. absolutely. And uh, I don't care how you get your first hit in the big leagues, you'll take it. Absolutely. So that was a really neat story. Oh, one. that is a great story. As you story. can tell, I still remember very well. Absolutely. And so. by the way, Chris uh, is best known for, we just have a, uh, about a half a minute here, I'm going to tell the story. The uh, National League uh, Division Series, he has a walk-off home run versus the Braves in an 18-inning game that is the longest playoff game in Major League Baseball history. You hit the walk-off. Your team, your teammates, uh, there's a great picture of you landing in the middle of them as you come down after hitting that home run. So, But I would say in the history of your hits, though, the one where you did it in front of your grandpa, your papa, had to be a bigger hit for you. So proud of that. Hey, I appreciate you coming on the show, Chris. Interview was too short. We'll have to have you on again to talk about your broadcasting career now with ESPN doing college baseball and Little League baseball. Hey, thanks so much for coming on the show. All right, my pleasure, guys. All right. Hey, we'll be right back with more Docs and Jocks, your sports medicine radio show after this short commercial break. Welcome back to Docs and Jocks, your sports medicine radio show. My name is Dr. Dan, coming to you from inside Docs and Jocks radio studio. Hey, if you're just catching our show for the very first time, we'd love to have you follow us on social media or follow our show on our podcast. You can do that by going to Docs and Jocks on your iTunes app, D-O-X-N-J-O-X, or you can follow us on social media by finding out how to do that on DocsandJocks.com, D-O-X-N-J-O-X.com. Hey, Ferris, I think, uh, and by the way, my co-host each week is Ferris Potter, the voice of Grand Canyon University, and I am Dr. Dan, a longtime sports medicine physician with Texas Sport and Spine. I feel like our guests have been just a blast this week. Uh, we've had Matt Mueller on, uh, who's talking about Rice going over and playing uh, baseball in Cuba when uh, Fidel Castro uh, passed away and uh, kind of just witnessing history there. We just had on Patrick Creighton. Uh, I heard him on uh, the podcast. I can't say it enough what a good podcast it is as well. The uh, team never quit one with Marcus Luttrell the lone survivor Navy SEAL with one of his uh, team members, uh, Dave Rutherford. Uh, team Never Quit is a great podcast. It does take stories of people that overcome. So they had like uh, Diane Nyad who swam from Cuba to Florida, speaking of Cuba, and uh, she did it in her uh, 60s. Uh, you had uh, Tuff Hedeman, one of the uh, most famous uh, bull riders of all time, who rode a bull named Bodacious who uh, broke his face and he had multiple surgeries. Uh, six weeks later, after having that occur to him, he goes on and rides bodacious in the in the uh, NFR, the National Finals Rodeo. Talking about stories that overcome, and I feel like Patrick Creighton is one of those guys. He's a young guy that just got wayward when he was in high school. Just got out, you know, lost his way. Didn't think school was uh, important enough to get good grades, and uh, ends up having to drop out of a junior college after being uh, turned down by Texas Tech for bad grades. Makes a lot of bad decisions. Finds his way then after he comes to faith. Uh, through some friends taking him to church, and uh, said he started believing it, not just hearing it. How long? How often have we heard that, Ferris? That uh, you got to believe it, not just hear it. 
then he goes on and uh, eventually goes to an NAI college where he becomes the best player in NAI and eventually becomes a Dallas Cowboy and has a great, great uh, NFL career playing for Bill Parcells, catching passes from Tony Romo. So I think our interviews have been really, really fun this week, and you can always find any more any of those interviews at docsandjocks.com. Would you agree, Ferris? It's been a good, good week. Yeah, it was nice. It's fun talking to Patrick. I mean, how many times have we heard or we seen that kind of same story, but it goes a different direction, you know, it goes south and, and the kids just, you know, just still, still at home or it even goes worse than that. So pretty amazing when you think about it, that he was literally one person saying, Hey, you want to go to church away from, you know, not ever accomplishing what he did, you know, quite possibly. So it's pretty, pretty amazing. Absolutely, yeah. And uh, you can always listen to all our interviews. We're going to have some great interviews on this whole segment with some Dallas Cowboys. We thought with the uh, playoffs hitting uh, full force and our Dallas Cowboys right in the mix this year, we're going to, we're going to replay uh, Charles Haley, uh, Doug Free, uh, and then we're going to have on, obviously, the Patrick Creighton interview that you just heard uh, as well. So don't want to miss all those. And then later on the show coming up is uh, Chris Burke, uh, played for the uh, Arizona Diamondbacks and San Diego Padres, talking about uh, his career in the big leagues. So don't want to miss any of those shows here on Docs and Jocks. Hey, uh, Ferris, I thought we'd uh, talk about some good news here. Rockies pitcher uh, Chad Bettis, we mentioned this uh, last week. He was recently diagnosed with testicular cancer. By the way, if you are a young male, here are the types of cancers that can kill you that can be preventable. You uh, can get testicular cancer. All you have to do is do testicular checks. You should do them uh, about, about once a month where you just feel if there's any new masses or growths. And if there are, then you should get those checked out by your doctor. And uh, if it's uh, taken care of early, you can be lucky like Chad Bettis was and uh, now be uh, deemed cancer-free. Uh, also, uh, melanomas, if you have a mole that looks like it changes colors, changes size, uh, itches, bleeds, changes in any way, shape, or form. Show it to your family doctor, and, uh, man, get that thing taken care of because you can uh, have that removed. So those those types of cancers, if you found early in young men, uh, can be uh, taken care of, and they don't have to go on to being lethal, which they can do. So the good news for Chad Bettis, he said, I got an early Christmas present, Ferris. He said, I got an early Christmas present the other day. The doctor called and told me I was cancer-free. So he had the surgery, had it removed. He's cancer-free. So good news for Colorado Rockies pitcher Chad Bettis. Those are always the funnest calls for the doc to make, right? Yes, those, absolutely. That, that's, that's the chart you love Woo, to see. You like go, those, oh, yeah. Sweet. I get to open the door and say, <laughs> we're good to go, yes. as opposed to open the door and go, okay, we need to have a discussion. I know. <laughs> I, I know. hate to tell you, but. As a uh, doctor takes care of our spines, one of the most common places that uh, cancer will spread is into your spine because it's so vascular there. And so oftentimes what we call metastatic disease, which is just cancer that starts in one place and then it spreads, metastasizes. So we call it metastatic cancer. It oftentimes does it and shows up sometimes the very first time where you'll, you'll have really, really severe back pain. And we do an MRI and we look at somebody's back and we'll see that metastatic disease. And I have to have that unfortunate conversation with family members and the patient regarding, hey, this is a cancer. We need to get this taken care of. And it's, it's a hard conversation to have. Typically, not all the time, but when your cancer has metastasized into your spine, it means it's spread, and it's, it's oftentimes at a later stage than what Chad Bettis had where he found the mass uh, in the testicle, had it removed, and is now cancer-free. So, yeah, definitely love the, uh, hey, we got it all. It's cancer-free. You're going to live a long life stories as opposed <laughs> to going in and tell patients, uh, you know, you're going to going to have to get this taken care of. It, it looks like it's metastatic cancer for sure. Always hard conversation. Yeah, you know, and it's interesting with Chad Bettis, when you when you first brought that story up, you know, I'm not a Rockies fan. I love baseball. But he's not one of those, you know, front-line top pitchers like, you know, Clayton Kershaw or Madison Bumgarner or Chris Sale that you know their names and everything. But 
when you said his name, I was like, oh, dude, I know that guy. I always pick him up in fantasy fantasy yeah, baseball. Right, right. Like I knew him as a fantasy baseball player, as a good pitcher who was probably out there who I could grab, let him pitch a game, put him back on the waiver wire. Yeah, right. But that's how I know Chad Bettis. So. Yeah. And Ferris does a lot with uh, fantasy baseball. You're still doing a podcast and getting ready to go uh, do a new show with uh, talking about fantasy baseball, right? Are you ready, well, to, I know, ready I know to unwrap you, that for the public? Yeah, you pretty much check out after baseball season and let Hawk run the Docks and Ducks football team. Do, yes. And your football team was horrible this year. You, <laughs> yeah. two, you, you probably need to get involved in that, Dr. Yeah, Davis. I was neither involved in the draft or have I watched one uh, weekly <laughs> Hawk's score. Giving so. you, Hawk's giving you a bit of a bad name, oh, Docks wow. and Jocks. You really? were one of the worst teams. But every year you're one of the best teams in baseball. This year uh, I, by I the barely way, do that beat entire you draft. out. Yeah. I barely beat you out, but I think by about half a game to get into the playoffs. So every year. But, yeah, we're – we're starting back up. We're going to 10 teams. Uh, our podcast is going, uh, Fantasy Sports Wrap podcast on iTunes um, and FantasySportsWrap.com. And then, um, you know, we might be we might be uh, getting back on the airwaves uh, locally at some point. So yeah. we're looking to, to those options as well. But baseball is always more fun, especially for guys like me and you, because you can do stuff every day. You right. can make transactions. But, uh, yeah, that's how I know Chad Bettis. He's a, he's a good good mid-range mid-level pitcher you can grab and pick up and you can throw an inning for you and maybe get five or six seven strikeouts and win a win a category for you hey speaking of fun and this has absolutely nothing to do with the sports medicine world at all and i guess i can do that because it's it's, it's our show right so sure, we, can talk show. About, you can do whatever we do want. whatever we want to talk about so the piano <laughs> man billy joel who ferris and i uh, grew up that's our era man uh, huey Love lewis him. billy joel uh, neil diamond there's a group cougar. There. yeah john cougar mellencamp <laughs> those are our guys that we grew up listening to He's now 67, which made me feel really old when I heard Billy Joel was 67. That's crazy. Yeah, isn't that crazy? He is now touring in his uh, tour in 2017. He picked his venues, baseball stadiums. So he's going to be playing in 2017 when there's away games. He's going to be playing tours such as uh, he's going to be playing at Dodger Stadium, Fenway uh, in Boston. He's going to play at Wrigley Field in Chicago, just to name a few of the venues. How cool is that, man, to go hear the piano man playing in uh, baseball stadiums? It kind of combines two of my favorite things from years years gone by. Oh, we'll have to check that out. Where's the closest venue that's going to be to you? Is he playing at, at Arlington? or? When I read the story, it just named the kind of the big name. I mean, the obviously biggies. Fenway, Wrigley, yeah. Dodgers. So it didn't name all of them. So I haven't looked up the actual tour dates and if there's going to be one coming to Texas. But, yeah, wouldn't that be fun uh, if he had one in Houston maybe or – I'll have to check the dates. I might have to check him out at Chavez Ravine. That's one Ooh, of my favorite. That's one of my favorite baseball stadiums. Um, it's horrible to get in and out of because yeah. it's in a ravine. Yeah. Um, unless you're with Dr. Dan, where he just cuts into the taxi line. We did do that. And has every Almost. every Cardinal fan screaming at him. Yeah, we did do that. Um, yeah, that's true. <laughs> well, you did it. Darren <laughs> yeah. and I froze and almost got you killed. Yeah. <laughs> but, <laughs> you know, and then we did get mooned by Dodger fans on the back of a flatbed truck as they rode that by all the Cardinal fans mooning us. Yes, that was, that was, that was nice. Yeah, <laughs> at Chavez Ravine. We're all waiting. But the story is the game's over. So all the visiting fans have to wait for taxis because we're from out of town. So we're waiting in the taxi line. And here comes these all these Dodger fans. They said, hey, Cardinal fans. And they mooned us for the, you know, I felt like uh, the, the streak. It was too late. She'd done been mooned. But we got mooned yeah. all the way by them. So anyway, it was a, it was a cool uh, cool event. But I, I, you got to go to Dodger Stadium. You got to go to Fenway once in your life. Luckily, I got to go to Yankee Stadium before they tore it down. I've been to Wrigley Field, so I've been to some of the great ones. But to see oh, Billy Joel ones, singing yeah. Piano Man and, uh, man, Stiletto and I can start uh, My Life, all those songs, uh, seeing him do that, it would be pretty cool. Oh, yeah, man. Billy Joel would be great. Seems from an Italian restaurant at Dodger Stadium. That'd be, that'd be the way to go. Speaking of which, uh, stadiums out at uh, D-backs now are suing Maricopa County to, to try and get uh, 
the exclusion exclusion of being able to change stadiums out of their contract. They want to maybe move and build a new stadium. Have you heard any of that news out there in the uh, Phoenix area? Well, the good news for the Diamondbacks is nobody talks about them out here because they were so bad. It's all Cardinals, even when the Cardinals are bad. The bad news is that when they do talk about them and that comes up, everybody's ticked off. Oh, wow. uh, but bottom line is they're, they're trying to say that Chase uh, Field and Bank One and all, whatever it's called now, that it's not it's not up to up to par. Uh, it is. It's not as nice as some of the brand new ones, but it's definitely better than a lot of the stadiums. But um, you know, they they built a fantastic um, minor league. I'm sorry, spring training facility out um, on the uh, Talking Stick, the Indian Reservation, and I believe uh, that the reservation is going to give them land and build them a huge stadium right out there. And so they want to move because Maricopa County built that stadium, and Maricopa County gets a lot of the revenue. They'd move out to the casino and uh, basically get given a stadium, and they would they would keep the majority of the revenue because uh, the Indian casino just wants people to, to show up out there as a destination and go gamble and things. So there's you know? a, so baseball so, is a business. Is that what you're telling me? Um, at times, yeah, <laughs> at times. I thought it was just a kids' yeah. game, Ferris. It's a business too. Wow. It, it is a kids' game, and it is a kids' game until your kid starts getting recruited, and then it becomes a business. For that it becomes a business. On. Yeah, exactly right. <laughs> you know that feeling. Hey, uh, interesting story. This is a guy that I got to meet last year. The Pittsburgh Pirates third baseman, South Korean baseball player, Jung Ho King, which is hard to say in himself. But you met him? Yeah, he. We, we went out to uh, my son played at the Pittsburgh Pirates spring training facility, and he was rehabbing. Remember, he's the one that yeah. they slid into him, broke his leg, and so he was yep. rehabbing. He's the one I always talk about. You make fun of me because I tried to talk to him, uh, and then I realized he only spoke Korean. So I'm like, <laughs> ask him. I said, "Hey," because we were standing right next to each other. He was working out in the gym, and I said, "Hey, is it cool to see uh, all these young kids playing? Does it take you back in time?" He just totally ignored me, and then I realized. I thought, "Oh, I bet he doesn't even speak English. He's South so Korean." So did you just did you just say it louder? Hey, yeah, I just yelled at him. Yeah, yeah, of course, yeah, absolutely. But uh, he now has been uh, kicked off the World Baseball. Uh, what is it? World Baseball Classic. Uh, to yeah. his South Korean team because he just received his third DUI. He's just got his third uh, driving under the influence. So uh, not only do the Cowboys have to deal with uh, Randy Gregory now being uh, suspended for the entire year due to a uh, violation of the uh, substance abuse policy, but also now uh, the Pirates are going to be out without their third baseman in the World Baseball Classic. I don't know what it's going to do to his uh, playing status with the Pirates, but it's sad to see a young talent like that. This is a guy who's... You know, got great talent. He comes from South Korea. He's kind of a, a, a big, big-time story here in the States, given the fact he's done so well, and he's come from a country that doesn't necessarily have a lot of uh, baseball players making Major League Baseball. But, First uh, Korean-born, yeah. wasn't he? Or? Yes, yeah. I mean. Man, so anyway, sad. Yeah, you know, that's the thing. I, uh, The guys that get mixed up in the drugs and stuff, and you kind of somewhat feel bad for them because there's a lot of performance-enhancing drugs throughout the business of athletics that goes undetected. So you kind of understand a little bit of that. And you look at backgrounds. Typically though, that, that type of stuff is a, is a, a self-inflicted wound. You, you don't really injure other people that much doing that. I got no guys who get drunk and get behind the wheel, man. I, I had, I got no like feelings for them. I'm just like, kick him out of baseball, do whatever. But that you can kill people doing that. Like I just, I have a hard time to feel bad for a guy like that. Um, so I hope baseball comes down hard on him and, 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 and sends a message that maybe gets his attention. You know, that, that to me is a different level than a guy smoking a joint and getting popped or taking performance-enhancing drugs. That's how I look at it. Yeah. So, anyway, we wish him the best, and hopefully he'll recover and uh, be back because he's a great talent for the baseball world for sure. Hey, speaking of great talents that baseball right now is uh, overlooking, is Jose Batista has not found a home, Ferris. He is the last mm -hmm. free agent slugger. 
you know, uh, Juan Encarnacion, his uh, teammate goes to the uh, goes to Cleveland, right? You know, Edwin Encarnacion. Yeah, Edwin Encarnacion yeah. went to Cleveland, which stinks for me as a Royals fan because yeah. now he's in the division. So, but Jose Batista, who is a uh, one year removed from hitting 40 home runs, is uh, now has is really without a home. No team has picked him up. No free agent team has picked him up. It reminds me, Ferris, of Barry Bonds when Barry Bonds, you know, he breaks uh, the all time home run record, hits over 40 home runs, and nobody will pick him up. Nobody will pick up his free agency contract. Barry Bonds never retired, by the way. Just no one ever picked him up. He never had a retirement ceremony. Said, "I'm retiring <laughs> from baseball." Jose Batista now, who has a similar personality, maybe I don't know how it is. He has a he's rumored to have be hard to deal with. Uh, he kind of plays with a chip on his shoulder. Some people call it a uh, he's a proud player who plays angry would be another way to put it. The one I always remember is him and Rufus Odor from the Texas Rangers going at it, having a little brouhaha there at second base. But man, it's hard to believe a guy who had uh, that big of a year and. He's been that big of a slugger, has not been able to get picked up by anybody, but nobody's picked him up. You know, had some injuries last year, did not hit the ball well last year. Right. I think he had like under 240. Um, I think he still wants big money, yeah. and he's a year removed from that, so he's not going to get it. I, I would lo- Here's my two things. I think he'll probably end up on a one-year deal or a two-year deal with the Oakland A's because he seems like he's in that level of his career, you know, where he, be, he goes to the A's and then he re- reinvents himself and then signs a big deal. I would love to see him be on the Rangers, though. Oh, man. oh, that would be funny. Yeah, that I would be cool. I would love to see the Rangers. Yeah, for that year. would actually be and great. He would, he would fit for them, actually. He absolutely would. And and I'm, here in our last thirty seconds, Ferris, give me your pick: Alabama versus Clemson. Alabama linebacker Sean Hamilton is out with a uh, severe knee injury, but really no big injury stories there. Lane Kiffin's the OC's gone. Who are you picking, Alabama or Clemson? Here in our last uh, thirty seconds. Can't go against the coach Nick Saban, I but know. I I'm rooting for Clemson. Rooting for Clemson, thinking Alabama's going to win. Yeah, they're yep. up in Vegas right now by six, last time I looked. So, hey, from all of us here on Docs and Jocks, myself, Dr. Dan, a sports medicine physician with Texas Sport and Spine, my co-host Ferris Potter, the voice of Grand Canyon University, want to say thank you to all our wonderful listeners been listening to your sports medicine radio show, Docs and Jocks. Don't forget, you can listen to our iTunes podcast by going to Docs and Jocks, D-O-X-N-J-O-X. Hey, we'll see you next week.